And what's going on, folks? Welcome to another episode of the Knicks World Podcast presented by Prize Picks. I am your host, as always, Kyle Maggio, joined by my co-hosts, Mike Cortez and Sean Geddes. What's going on, boys? Ready to talk some trades. Yeah, uh, it's a big day for trades. Real big day for trades. Uh, today is, we're recording this Tuesday, February 8th, 7.45, right now in the evening. Um, a lot of trades. And uh, so there was a Kings trade today, but it's not the one uh, we on this podcast want because, you know, we are big De'Aaron Fox fans. I've been, as long as we've done this pod, we've talked about De'Aaron Fox, you know, in any capacity. You guys have known that uh, I definitely wanted the Knicks to draft him in that draft. I have been holding out hope for the Kings to stink it up for an opportunity for him to be on the market for the Knicks to snatch him. I didn't think the day would come when he signed his extension. Lo and behold, he was very available this deadline, and the Knicks did not make the trade with the Kings. Uh, not in a, I'm outright blaming them at this moment type way, but in a, uh, the Pacers struck a deal with, the Kings and to much to everybody's surprise, including what appears to be mostly everybody around the NBA league in general, is that uh, Tyrese Halliburton was the centerpiece going back to Indiana. Um, so this was a trade for DeMontis Sabonis, uh, you know, basically for, you know, uh, Halliburton. And then uh, also going to Indiana in the trade with Buddy Heald, Kristen Thompson, and then going to, uh, to Sacramento with Sabonis, I believe it was Jeremy Lamb. Um, I then noticed some draft picks. Justin Holiday. Oh, and Justin Holiday. Who? And and and, uh, and and then there was a sweetener of a second round pick that was thrown on in the next Warriors tweet to follow it up. Like, well, not just that, a second round pick as well. I don't think. Well, well. I mean, they are really they sitting pretty now. I mean, you know what the best part of that was though? That this was the re- the true sweetener, Sean. I saw that uh, Justin Holiday is not vaccinated, and according to Sacramento rules, just like in Brooklyn with Kyrie. He cannot play in home games. So I don't I don't know how you make the trade. So first of all, it seemed like it called the nobody even knew that Halliburton was available, right? So just, you know, for instance, I'm sure that the Knicks had an interest in Fox, obviously, right? We know that, but at the same time, I would assume or hope that they at least asked about Halliburton. You know what I mean? Like you gotta at least ask in these situations. And if they, you know, they tell you to go fuck yourself, you go fuck yourself. But you have to ask. But he he was obviously available, so I mean, I'd be pretty bummed out if we didn't happen to know that. But I mean, just again, it seems like this was a last minute thing they decided to include him. So uh, pretty pretty interesting. Uh, I want to get your guys' just opinions in general. Again, no, this is a Knicks pod, but this directly affected the Knicks, in my opinion, because we, I don't, we'll find out now, I guess. But there had to be some kind of open communication between them. Uh, between the two teams for these the, the Aaron Fox rumors even exist in the first place. So I really wanted the De'Aaron Fox trade. I know we did too, but the dream is dead. They are now trying to make the play in with Fox and Sabonis, which I think is a curious fit. Uh, I like them both. Um, I think it could work, but uh, a, a very, and we haven't even gotten to the other trade today, by the way. So let's just start on this one because I mean, Jesus, but I, I mean, Sean, what do, what do you think? Because very shocking news. Um, I was definitely shocked. Um, I didn't see that coming at all. I did not know how Brett was available. I thought he was like the one untouchable they had, honestly. Um, and he was playing really well. You know, I am 
first of all, everybody always does a revision of history thing of, oh, the Knicks should have drafted Halliburton. And I'm always so strongly against that because I'm not a hindsight person. And I remember before the draft, I was like, the only thing they could really do to make me mad is drafting Halliburton. Like, I did not want Tyrese Halliburton at all. So, you know, recently, uh, before, the game right before he played us, I watched the Kings game because, like, I wanted to watch De'Aaron Fox for the Fox agenda, but he was out that night. But I was just like, all right, let me watch it anyway because I picked uh, Joel Embiid on Prospect. Shout out to Prospect. Coach, TKW, boom. Um, but I picked Joel Embiid, and I wanted to just see the game. So Tyrese Halliburton was going crazy, and I was like, okay, I, I, I have to give it to him. And I went and tweeted him, and I was like, yo, you know, I, I was wrong about you. Like, you're, you, I have a, like, I'm a fan now. So how beautiful of a moment would it have been if it was us making that surprise notification today? And he was becoming a Nick. I would have just brought that tweet back. Boom. And so that was where my mind first went. It was like, that's all it took to get Tyrese Halliburton. Not only was he available, but like, and that when I say that's all it took, there were some people pushing back like, oh, Sabonis is, you know, he's good. But um, of course, Sabonis is good. But today, one good player got you Tyrese Halliburton. I didn't know that could happen. It, it didn't require any first round picks, nothing. And it was just like, okay, that's strange to me. Then I started thinking of our package. I was like, okay, like, we could have given like, and I hate to make trades like this, especially in hindsight when they won't happen because they're just trading people away for no reason. But it's like, yeah, we're giving up Julius. Like, I mean, we we wanted to give up Julius for Fox. It was some of us like, we I would have given up Julius if they needed a power forward like that. I don't know what the value difference between Julius and Sabonis is. Some people may think one is better than the other, but either way, I think everybody can agree that it's pretty marginal. At like, it's not that far off one way or another. So, I would have given up Julius and multiple picks, like, and another player if they wanted even like i don't know so i just feel like did we not try and then i started thinking more about what was going on with the kings and i thought about what it would be like to be a king's fan i'd be like you know they must be sick and then seeing the reddit and one guy just like i saved the photo because i'm sure it'll be applicable at some time but he's wrote f this team like over and over and over and over and over in all caps it was hilarious like some of the reactions um, but yeah, that was definitely a shocking trade. Uh, I mean, Malcolm Brogdon is now likely available in the off season. And then somebody pointed out to me that Malcolm Brogdon is always hurt. And I was like, damn, that's a good point. He is always hurt. Like, is that even the route you want to go? Like right when he became available, the problem ar- ar- arises, like, you know, so, I mean, it's weird because yeah, this trade really did take away two. It's like it, the Fox dream died and then it was like, well, however, and now, Indiana's like, you know, looking around the league, there's not a lot of teams that don't have a point guard. Like, or there's not a lot of point guards that are available. I mean, Brunson may stay in Dallas, it's looking like, you know, and then even with him, it'd be an all season. You can't trade for him right now. It's going to cost way too much. They said that themselves. So it's like, we're just waiting for Derrick Rose to come back. And I don't know what that looks like if we don't get really Kimball Walker. Like, I don't know, man. I don't know. So I'm getting, I'm getting nervous. I'm, that's how I'm feeling. I'm nervous. Mike, nervous too. <laughs> nervous as well. A little agitated. We'll talk about why in a little bit. But I just want to thank the Kings for existing because anytime the Knicks are doing bad, I could always look to the Kings and say, okay, at least I don't root for that franchise because that has to be a gut punch. I can't, I guess the equivalent would be like the Knicks surprisingly trading RJ. I guess that's the closest thing. That's the way Kings fans seem to be reacting. I don't understand it. I know before we recorded, I didn't really understand on keeping Fox with Sabonis. If it was Turner coming to play a Fox, at least that makes more sense because Turner could shoot. But that deal didn't make any sense for me. And then kind of what Sean said, there's really no point guards available now. I really don't see a deal out there. We're kind of really hinging 
this season being salvageable on Derrick Rose, which I love D Rose, but that's not really a safe plan. And I really don't know how this team gets better. And I know Harrison Barnes's name's been thrown out there for the Knicks. None of these deals are really appetizing, but they still need to make a deal. And the biggest mark has kind of just come off the board because now who do you really finesse? I can't really think of a team off the top of my head. Kyle, maybe you know a team that we can finesse, but I can't even think of a player right now. So it's kind of just in that wait-and-see mode. I really don't know where to go from here. I mean, I don't know where I'm at. Um, I've been saying for a long time, you know, um, trade the picks or, or trade something and, and take a big swing somewhere. Um, and they never do it. So it's a little frustrating, uh, especially, you know, the reports leading up to this kind of clearly indicated that they they knew they fucked up this offseason, right? So you got to be active in undoing that if you're going to undo it. And it's not impossible. We've seen like when the Cavs had LeBron in, you know, 20, what, 16, 17, and he wiped the whole team, right? They came in, they had Derrick Rose, right, who actually was not playing good basketball at that time. And a couple other guys, you know, uh, Jay Crowder, but, but, you know, a bunch of guys they tried it and it just did not work, right? Dwayne Wade was there briefly. Like, it just, they had to retool. Okay. Like, and it was like six guys, George Hill, six guys, seven guys, gone, right? You can do it. Like, you're not saying you're in the same, like, urgency in terms of being a contender. So that changes the equation a little bit. But, like, you know you got to get three, like, at least two, three guys out of there. Like, you know that. You you made the cam trade. I, again, am giving them the doubt, uh, benefit of the doubt about not being that, that level of stupid or incompetent to make a move with no foresight. I mean, it had to be a precursory move. A precursory move, but um, it doesn't make any sense right now until that move actually happens. You know, it's a you got to wait and see to make sure that they don't fuck this up type thing. But you know, the cam was a margin move for a guy who might may or not may or may not have a big role in the rotation. Even once he's playing, it might not be big minutes either. You know, we can't just assume it's going to be twenty five thirty at night once a couple spots clear up. It, we it might be fifteen twenty. It might be. Well, you know what I mean? You don't know how he's going to fit it. So, I mean, I'm a little confused. I just figured, you know, again, not that we're in like some massive rush, but it's like you can't just like squat on stuff forever, you know, Um, and guys will lose value. You know what I mean? Quickly. I love Emmanuel quickly, right? To me, coming into this year, start the season, he was still a very valuable young piece. And he remains so on this roster in particular, but it's like he had more like, you know, not up. I don't know how to describe, but he had more, I feel like, uh, of a shine to him, right? Because it was like, man, this this guy's hitting so many shots last year. He's these big, big scoring outbursts that very limited minutes, right? And now, you know, I think he's played mostly well this year, right? But it's like the shooting hasn't been good, right? We know that. Shooting hasn't been quite as good or what we expected, but, you know, he's still obviously, he's progressed as a passer a bit. He's progressed as a defender. So, like, it's fine. But, like, the excitement to maybe another team that the scoring guard suddenly isn't scoring this season probably doesn't help in the second season. You know what I mean? So if you wanted to move him at all, you try to move him when his value is a little bit higher is all that I'm saying. So I feel like we do this a lot with guys where we just 
we don't make decisions on young players well. Like, I feel like RJ, you know, knock on wood, hopefully he's the layup and they don't fuck that one up, right? Assuming they keep him. But um, these other guys, it always just feels like, We'll sort, we'll sort of hold on to you, you know, but we don't really know if we're going to use you or not or try to sell high against you or whatever. I just feel like they've, they've had opportunities with some of these young players to package them up. They already aren't getting a lot of minutes. You know, I thought you could get creative with the amount of picks that you had. You know, no, we got two days left. It's not the end of the world. Something could happen. But it just feels like in terms of, you know, making something, making a trade that's actually going to make a difference for once. You know, and everybody says, like, well, well, who's even available, right? That's always the question we hear. Well, who's available? But every year, there's a lot of guys that are available. Like, and the, the names change, right? C.J. McCollum was available. I'm not saying, like, I would have went all in on C.J., but when I saw what the package cost, I was like, I mean, that's not a bad deal, but I would assume the Knicks would have wanted to do that if they got off Evan Fournier's deal. I, I don't – I can't imagine they would want to pay Fournier for – you know, at least three years at almost 20 a pop. And then you got CJ, big money for two years, and they're sort of occupying the same position. I can see why you wouldn't want to do both. So maybe they're trying to get a Fournier deal done. I also try to do something like that. Is that where their interests lie? Because, like, I, I could have been into that if that was the case, right? You, you get Fournier out, you get CJ in. The, the money is more, but it goes down from three years to two years. He'd be an expiring next year. I thought it made some sense if you can do the first part of it but you know it always just feels like we're a step behind i don't know how, how to describe it whenever we're looking at at somebody even lonzo right we're interested in lonzo but uh, you know what not quite we're gonna wait and see and then somebody snatches them up so you know sports errors are very very short people forget this too they act like everything you got to do is for like some 10 15 year run of success and uh, to be honest with you that's quite unprecedented like what the spurs did you know not an easy thing to do Normally, you're good for a four or five year block at best. And then you, you take some kind of a hit. You got to retool. You got to shift gears to some degree. It's not easy or given to like really set yourself up for such permanent long term success. So I think people got to remember like in, in punting eras, you also do yourself a disadvantage because you could have been making stuff happen. Deals could be, could have been, you know, I've been on this. Uh, podcast talking about trades, big trades since 2017 that's like you could have been done with whatever i wanted four years ago we would have we would have moved out already clean books whatever whatever picks started for you know what i mean like you got to try in certain pockets of space so i just need to see them try man and like we're hearing from kevin o'connor there's no like zero interest no interest in alec burks he did not Surprise. mince words right so, so no interest whatsoever in alec burks i mean that that doesn't sound good so we know the Knicks were interested in moving Fournier, right? We, we keep hearing that. Uh, we've heard Kemba since the beginning of the season, right? And we haven't heard anybody interested in Kemba, just that the Knicks are shopping him. So that's, that's sad. Fournier, we know, at least for uh, Jake Fisher reported, the Knicks were in on Karis Levert till the 12th hour, basically. And it seemed like something more Fournier-Levert swap, which is sure, I guess. Um, but... It just seemed like, uh, you know, none of these are like true big swings. It's more like they're still trying to like be very even about what they give out and get back. And, you know, they're not really going for a lot of high upside. So I'm just a little bit confused. I just want to see, they know something's got to happen. If you're waiting to this offseason, then what's the big move in the offseason? Like Sean said, you know, and I want to get your guys' thoughts on all this stuff. This is why I'm trying to recap all of it. But it's like, 
you mentioned even about Brogdon. Like, I like Brogdon. I know you like, we all like Brogdon. This is something we've mentioned before. But he, he is injured a lot. He's injured all the fucking time. So, is that, and he's, and again, he's not a young guy either, actually. He's an older guy too. So, he was just an old rookie. So now he's old already. You know what I mean? So, would, would I take him? Probably. But it's like, you know, we always, we always end up like way further down the totem pole of the guys we should be going after instead of just ripping the bandaid off, finally being a little bit aggressive, giving up that extra young guy, giving up that extra pick this one time. You know what I mean? Like, and just getting the fucking deal done. Because it just feels like we're always too hesitant. And so we miss out on the good deals. And nobody's available. Then we cry about how nobody's available. And then we got to wait another. Well, well, don't worry. Just wait till this offseason. Don't worry. Just wait till 2024 for you. Don't worry. Just wait till the 2025 draft. You know, and it's like, well, when? when what about today? Just one time. What about today? You know, you don't got to you don't got to sell everything, but you could sell a decent amount and still get something good. So I just feel like there's a lot of guys to be had every year. We just never go in. Yeah, like the McCollum trade had. I mean, I don't know what the final offer was or if offer was even made by the Knicks. They should have went like not all in, obviously, but. They should have made every effort to beat a deal that was centered around Josh Hart, unless I'm really missing something, because that's he expires in 2024 when I think Towns becomes a free agent, and just a lot more people are hitting free agency in 2024 and beyond. So that would have kept them on that same timeline while making them infinitely more watchable right now, addressing the point guard situation because Kemba has been a disaster the last few weeks. Fournier's actually been very good, so I think he can. There's still an outside chance that he should be dealt at the deadline because he has proven kind of what they were looking at when they signed him in the offseason. And then Burks and Noel, those guys just got to go. So they have to do something. That point is something has to be done, whether it's to just almost tank for this season in terms of just getting all the starting guys, uh, the the young guys playing time, or making because it looks like the marginal move to get slightly better is evaporating. I don't know how you guys feel about Barnes. I brought it up earlier, but Barnes would only hinder Cam Reddish minutes, so I'm good on that. I don't know what other marginal deal is out there. I just think they should start proceeding to offload Deadwood mode because these guys just aren't that good. And Burks, last few weeks, have just it's hard to watch. He was absolutely awful last night. He got crushed by Donovan Mitchell, and every jump shot is just flat. Yeah, I, I'm I'm ready to stop watching Alfred Burks. Ready to stop watching Kemba Walker. Ready to stop watching Jonas Noel. Those are my three demands for the trade deadline. That's it. Those guys have to be gone. I don't care how they get out. I just want them gone. Um, I would love for Evan to be gone. Um, I I feel like he has played himself into being tradable. Uh, if people are interested, uh, I understand if they can't. Whatever, if, if, if the interest isn't there, I get it. But if it's for lack of value, I'll be mad. Like, if anybody wants Evan, even if they're only giving a second-round pick, like, I don't know, you probably got to do other things to make the money work, but get him out. Um, then as far as what's left, I mean, I I really don't know. Um, like, I, I don't really know what's out there, but I think that one thing this trade showed us is that we don't know who's available. Like, that's what the homie that Sean said earlier today, and I was like, that's a great point. Like, I didn't know that Tyrese Halliburton was available. Well, maybe somewhere around the league, somewhere else, there's something that they're working on. I can only hope so because we really do need to move. Like, we need to make some move. Like, as I was just said, we, we all say it all the time. Like, just make a move. Like, you, you can figure it out from there. Like, 
you know, you can, you can pivot and like, you know, if you trade for a guy with like, you know, I don't know, man. Like uh, I, I, I think of D'Angelo Russell as an example sometimes. And it's like, we could have went and got D'Angelo Russell. Would it have made us a championship contender right away? No. Would we have a point guard right now? Yeah. And we wouldn't have, it wouldn't have cost us much. Right now, if you could just say, hey, you, you want D'Angelo Russell on this team? I feel like most people would say yes. Like, I would like D'Angelo Russell on this team if he was available somehow. Like, he would, he, like, so it's just like, you know, we have to take those chances. It can't be, oh, well, he's not the best thing in the world. So, like, nah, like, you, you figure it out from there. Like, oh, he can't be a number one on a contender. Like, there's only, that's a very short list of people in this league, bro. Like, just figure it out, steps at a time, brick by brick. But, like, you have to make a move. I really don't want to watch this team that we've been watching all season, but I'm prepared to if there's nothing else available and nothing out there. Just get off the vets that are here and play the rest of the season and let the kids figure it out and play. And first of all, I don't think that playing, like, playing grounds getting more minutes makes us a better basketball team. Um, I think that, you know, I mean, Deuce has only been, it's, it's been summer, I mean, it's been G League, but I mean, it's still very impressive and he's still a very good defender. And if he has good shoot, like those are skills that translate. So it's like, bring him over, like let him play. You're giving, you have, if you have 24 minutes for Kemba, there are minutes available for Deuce McBride. I'm sorry. Like do that, figure that out. I'd rather go that route. I'd rather go that route. If Deuce has an off game, if Deuce goes back, like when Deuce scored zero points, he was a plus 40. Like when Kemba scores zero points, it's not plus anything. So, you know, you have to make those moves. Um, I would hope that maybe there's a, you know, let's maybe the Spurs are stupid. Like somebody was like, oh, this trade, you never know. Like you can make a package for DeJounte Murray. I was like, well, the Spurs are like the antithesis of the Kings. Like that's dealing with two completely different organizations. But maybe the Spurs are like, hey, they want to, you know, punt it further down the line. I don't know. Like you give them Julius and three first round picks or whatever. I, I don't care. But like do something like and not, not just do something, but like be aggressive. Don't let things be happening. And the reason that we're not in on them is because we're not being aggressive enough. Like that CJ trade package, like you said, like, I don't think that's a trade package. We couldn't beat. I feel like we can comfortably beat that trade package. And like, it's something that none of us would really flinch at, honestly. And then you add CJ McCollum and okay. Is that the end all be all answer? Like a CJ McCollum, a guy who's going to make you a championship contender tomorrow. No, but does he make your team better and feel the need today? Yes. Like, you know, like, so I really hope that's not why we're not doing anything because we're not willing to move off of a, a you know, two first round picks and the, you know, I don't know. We just, you, you got to make moves. You have to do something. And because there is no like silver lining in the off season, really, like you were just saying, like Rodman is an injured guy. He'll probably be available though. Like most players have found a home, whatever. Uh, I don't know, man. Brunson's about to get paid. Like the, agency doesn't really exist anymore like so just like you have to take the chances when they're available i think the only two guys that are realistically available i'm talking about guys that will make like the team infinitely better are donovan mitchell and shea gilgis shea gilgis i'm not waiting on just because okc they just make trades where they win in a landslide i think like we said last episode i do think mitchell there is a chance there and if shit goes left with the Jazz in the playoffs, then it becomes real. But even then, I just don't see why you don't give like clear space for Deuce and Cam Reddish because one problem with the defense that I've had is this defense, you guys are both Jets fans like me, 
their defense is similar to the Jets, where sure they might be good, like in terms of down low, but they don't get turnovers. They play really slow, and Kemba gets killed. Evan Fournier is not a good defender. It's really just RJ Randall when Randall's trying, and Mitch. So just shaking up, they need to shake up the starting lineup. And Thibodeau, who by the way should have zero goodwill, all the goodwill that he won from Coach of the Year, should be gone because if you really push for Fournier over Demar, doesn't like Cam Reddish. I don't understand what this guy is seeing but his goodwill needs to be written up because that's embarrassing. Anyway, <laughs> they need to just clear out if he's not going to man, if Thibodeau's not going to move these veterans who are just killing the vibe, like Nerland's Noel playing against small ball lineups, Alec Burks playing point guard period. If Thibodeau's not going to be smart about it, then the front office has to start to step in on that. Yeah. Um, you know, it always just seems like the, the names that we're interested in aren't the ones that we should be, is the best way to put it. Like, for example, it's Berman, of course, you know, little disclaimer, it's Berman, take it with a grain of salt. But apparently we're interested in Harrison Barnes is the other thing that came out at some point today. And it's like, for fucking why? Why would we be interested in Harrison Barnes, who plays almost exclusively power forward at this point? Who I like Harrison Barnes. He's a perfectly like solid, good player, right? Like he he's carved out a good career being, you know, that owning that little gray space between like mediocre starter and like fringe all-star. Like not even all-star, like fringe all-star. The space between mediocre starter and fr- like fringe all-star, like Comfortably below the fringe all-star part, but comfortably above being totally mediocre is Harrison Barnes. Nothing wrong with him. Good player. But why? Why? You have Julius already, right? Who hasn't moved, and you wouldn't move him for a Harrison Barnes deal. That makes it's a disgusting thing to even think about. So so what are you bringing him in for? You're going to play him at the three? I don't, I don't understand that. Obi's minutes probably disappear. So then again, what's the plan for Obi, right? What what would be the point of Harrison Barnes? I don't, I don't, I just don't quite understand it. You know, like why why are we not you know this hot on, on Jalen Brunson? Even I, I understand he's most likely staying in Dallas now. I saw Dallas. I don't know if they're going to try to keep him, whatever. But it's like, well, why are we not? You hear about teams being like hot on somebody's case, like well they they really want this guy. They're really trying to get this guy. Why are we never like? It's always like we just move on to like another dude, and it's always like it could be a name out of a hat. It feels like there's never really a clear plan. So I think that to me is the most frustrating part. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't get this Harrison Barnes nonsense at all. I, I think it's... It's idiotic. It's like when we were interested in Andre Drummond uh, for no reason at all. It was like, <laughs> yeah. it's like, again, that was Berman, but I was like, why? Why Andre Drummond? Why, why do you look at this team and go, Andre Drummond is what this team needs? Like, how do you look at this team right now and go, missing a Harrison Barnes? Nobody, nobody would say that. Nobody would say that. Not, not a single sane person who watches basketball knows what's happening. We look at that court and go, oof, if they had a Harrison Barnes right now, like that's, that's what they need. I'm telling you that they, they don't need to waste time with it, with this inefficient, you know, Chuck or Darren Fox that they need right now is a Harrison. Nobody says that. It's not a thing. So why are we interested in Harrison Barnes? Allegedly, it doesn't. If it's one for one for Fournier, I'll be okay with it. That's probably the only way, just because I want to get rid of that contract. But then it's a weird logjam. 
Yeah, no, I agree. That's why I think it's a stupid trade. We're actually Fournier and Noel. I really want Noel gone more than anybody now that I'm really thinking about it. But those are that's, that's the only way I want Barnes in if he's clearing one of those two. Because those two are just empty, dead money. Yeah, I, I, I don't think the Barnes thing is real, but I don't know. I mean, to be honest, I feel like with this front office, we have like, we didn't really hear anything about the Derrick Rose trade before it happened. Uh, we heard a little bit about Cam Reddish, but not for what it was reported for. Like, I feel like we don't hear a lot about things. Like, I feel like they're pretty close to the vest. But also, like, some things sound believable sometimes and things make sense. So I kind of just choose to believe things on, like, if it makes sense to me or not. And the Harrison Barnes thing doesn't make any sense to me. So I'm, I just tell myself that they're, they're better than that. I, and I've been somebody who's, like, you know, championing this front office and, you know, giving them their props and praises. But that Tyrese Halliburton deal today was like a moment for me where I was like, whoa, okay. Now they're on a little bit of a watch at the trade deadline. Like that just makes me look at the, this with the cost of things that are happening right now. Maybe like you said, it's in the summer, they're waiting for the inevitable jazz exit before the Western Conference Finals. And for Donovan Mitchell to say, I don't want to be here anymore. I haven't wanted to be here for years. Please move me. And then you're saving the assets for that. Maybe that's the case. Um, but either way, you still have to get these bets out of here. Like, but yeah, we have to see a direction like that. That's I don't know. Like, I don't know what the direction is, so I can't say, oh, they're not trading for Harrison Barnes. But like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So I don't think that's real. Um, I never thought the Drummond thing was a real thing. I hoped it wasn't. Um, but yeah, like I don't know because even if it was for Fournier, like I, there's not too many people in the world that if we traded Fournier away, I'd be mad about getting him back. Um, but it just wouldn't make much sense. I feel like. Whatever happens right now, we need to be prioritizing having Quentin Grimes or on the floor as much as they can be on the floor. Um, Mitchell Robinson needs to be a priority, of course, which doesn't really matter because he's only battling himself right now in terms of conditioning. So, yeah, like, just, it, it, it's simple. Like, it, we don't have to make the big swing if there's no big swing to make, whatever, but still at least make a base hit. Don't just st- stand there and look at every pitch come by and, nah, come on. And the, the last thing I want to say on that note, too, about just the overall aggressiveness is like, you know, Sean, Sean mentioned, uh, mentioned, right, like those arguments we always hear are like, oh, he can't, is he going to be the best player in a contender? Is he going to be this guy in a contender? Why are we always focused on like title contender? Like we need to be playoff contenders first. Like you can scale slowly. Not everything's like save everything for 10 years. LeBron James is available. We trade all of it for LeBron. We make the finals. But that's not always the path. Like, not every team, very rarely do teams get that situation where they get somebody of top three, two, three talent at any given time in the last 10 years that just comes to their team for free, right? It's a very rare thing. It's a big deal when it happens. Most of the time, you have to do trades. You have to do things to build up, to get attractive pieces, to trade the people. Like, this is the same team from last year that was sort of half-assly put together. You know what I mean? It's like largely the same thing, almost entirely the same thing. And then it's like a couple of rookies and Evan Fournier, Kemba, and Bang. And it's like, well, you know, you didn't really do much. You didn't really do much. You know, the one big swing you took was after on Fournier after everybody else seemed to dry up and disappear, right? So then it was just Fournier. We have to take a swing this time for some reason. But it's like, you know, you can, you can, own up to your mistakes. You can move guys, right? But like, why not 
you know, like Sean said, get get the big hit. Why are we worried about a home run? Like you worry about saying and we say this a lot, but like worry about getting to the second round. How how are we getting to the second round? Not just to the playoffs again. How are we getting to the second round? Let's just not not championship, nothing. What does a second round team out east look like? What are what are the teams we could pencil in to be a second round team almost immediately? And what do we do to be like in contention with those teams? And and scale it that way. Like I I don't ever think about when we're talking about team building, like, man, uh, who's who's gonna get us to be the two seed out east right now? Like who's gonna get us to be immediate what we could win a title? Because those guys aren't available. Not, you don't hear about them being available, and they won't be available. And it takes like a really dramatic drama situation, like maybe we get with Donovan Mitchell, right, to get out. But generally, or like, you know, Ben Simmons, it takes a really big thing though, right? But generally, like, you, you got to start somewhere. You got to you gotta get the B-plus players. You got to get the A-minus players. Like, you got to get some of those guys when you can, and then win a bunch of games together, put some semblance of a good identity together, and then, okay, where do we go from here? Like, you can pivot. You can still move guys who were very good. They probably will remain very good for a couple of years, and then you can still do something with it. Like, they don't just turn to ash when you get them, you know? Like, it's not. Even CJ, I heard a lot of that, too. Like, people are like, oh, you know, you, you think CJ is good? You know, 30, 32-year-old CJ McCall. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, actually, he's he's pretty fucking good, guys. Like, I, I don't know, like, what the discourse is with how we have to talk about players anymore because it seems like every time we talk about somebody that makes money or that's uh, a 20 per point per game 25 point per game guy we always have to talk about suddenly why, why they suck it's news to me that these guys were always good you know suck i had no idea um so yeah i mean he, he's good he's good is he perfect no he's not an all-star like fringe right just underneath like that mike conley tier for a long time you could be very good for a while. That's fine. I, I would take very good. We don't have very good at that position, you know? Like, you can you can take that. that. That's an okay thing. So I just want, you know, I just wish fans would think more that way because it's like, all right, yeah, then when we get to that level, right, then when we're getting to the second round, you know, back-to-back years, we can't win. Well, now what do we got to do? Now who's the best guy who gets us to be a title content? You know what I mean? Like, that's how, to me, it should work. If everybody talks about the rebuild, like, we've been in the rebuild. We had the young parts of the rebuild, even if it looked ugly with R.J. Barrett, right? Started his rookie year with Randall. Like, they were disgusting. It was a terrible team. That was still part of a youth movement, right? Mitch was playing. Like, guys were playing. It wasn't perfect or pretty, but it's part of it. And they started to win more games. And they got to be a little bit better. Now you're trying to figure out how to get back to the play. You know, this is all part of it. You shouldn't be looking to go backwards. Like, you got to keep scaling and adding. So, we'll, we'll see. But, like, Harrison Barnes, like... It, these names that have come up have not excited me. Like Sean said, maybe somebody else is available we don't know about. I'm not like I'm not super angry about the CJ trade or anything. I just you know everybody likes to throw that shit in your face if you're not a super super clear. I'm I'm not angry, but it's just like I'll be the angry one. I still think that's stupid. He's isn't he 30 years old? He's 30. Oh, 30. Like 30 on the yeah, day, I, I believe maybe I, even 29. I, I, I miss I misspoke. I, I said 32. I, I'm sorry, CJ. No, He's even younger. But people do this, and that's what pissed me off with the Fox discourse too. Okay, maybe he's not making you a title contender, but let's say you want to talk about a big package for Donovan Mitchell in a year or two. You could then put Fox into that deal because Fox is tied up for five years. Like people just are so fucking one side, like one mind, one track mind because they want to make sure that the young player that they're obsessing over on the timeline ends up reaching their max potential. So everyone else is a bum. It's just useless discourse. And really, like that's not how team building is. Every good team 
even the best of the best constantly retool. Show me one team that stand pat for five years without making any moves. You can't. You have to continue to get better. And that's where people are just, I don't know what the fuck they're doing or thinking, but Nick's got to do something. Point blank. Yeah, and we, we really do have, because the thing is, like, I, and I hate to speak on these hypothetically sometimes, especially in hindsight, but, like, I would have been, uh, when I look at this, I can't help it. Like, when I look at the CJ Ferry package, I'm just like, yo, like, that is not much. I feel like we could have beat that. You could have gave him two first round picks even. You could have given him, like, I would have even been open to trading IQ in that trade. I wouldn't have necessarily wanted to, but if I woke up and got a notification that we traded for CJ McCollum and the biggest piece we gave up was IQ, I'd have been like, damn, that hurts. But especially with the way things are going right now, how we're not even fully using him in his position, like, or how we're not sure what we want to do with him, we refuse to start him a point guard, like, if you, to solve, like, you ought to give something to get something. If so, if to solve a problem and plug this position, you ended up giving up something that, I, like, I would have been open to it. So the fact that I would have been open to that, it just doesn't make sense. Like, if you have CJ McCollum, Quentin Grimes, RJ Barrett, Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson, that's a good basketball team. That's a really good basketball team. I think that's a, I think that's a very good basketball team. CJ's 30. You got maybe two or three more years, at least, of him doing what he's doing right now. Like, I don't think that there's going to be – it's not like his game is like heavily predicated on athleticism or anything like that. Like CJ McCollum is going to be the same thing he is right now for the next at least two to three years. So it's like that gives you a chance. You know, where RJ is coming up. You got another legitimate perimeter scorer. You can have somebody take pressure on Julius. You can put the ball in his hands. He, he is a point guard. He was kind of playing out of position just because he was a dame. Like I, it gives you the scoring punch you need. I just so that's the thing because there was an available route that solved so many problems, even if you had to sacrifice things I necessarily wouldn't want to sacrifice, if it was available. And you, that's how you have to be able to make decisions. You have to take a chance. You have to be aggressive. And you have to solve a problem instead of trying to punt everything. You cannot end up, I do not want to end up like with the whole Danny Ainge thing of we had these assets, we had these, and everything just disappeared and it didn't become this, it didn't become that. We didn't cash in on guys when we were supposed to, like whatever it may be. Like I, so if we do nothing at the deadline and I know that was available and that was the cost, that's going to be kind of hurtful. And, you know, I'm, I'm tired of saying, all right, well, here comes summer. Let's hope for something because the, we hope for something. Like, like Kyle said, this team was kind of thrown together at first, even the first time. So then they ran it back with a team that was already thrown together. But at 6.01, when the first notification I got was that we signed Lonas Noel, I was so sick. I was like, this is what I was excited for free agency for, so we can re-sign Lonas Noel. Then I got another notification. At first we signed, I almost... Grew up. I was like, yeah, what is going on? Like, and Alec Burks is cool, but it was just like, we, like, you know, I think, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't get it. Um, and then, like, we, this Fournier, like, I tried to talk myself into it. Like, it was like, all right, it's an upgrade over Reggie. Everyone knows how Kyle responded. Like, it's just like, so it's like, these weren't good. Like, it's not like we made any, like, I, I'm tired of looking to, to summer. All right, well, hopefully this summer there's a move, somebody's available. We can have we have all these assets because now we're not going to have these assets after this draft. We don't really have like a surplus of picks anymore. Like we have Dallas is twenty three pick. Not a bunch That's of it. A bunch of it, it, yeah. It, it gets normal then. It gets normal, and then you drafted all the kids, and they're all in the roster. More than half of them aren't going to play. And now what the fuck are we doing? Because. You, the minute you select the kids, they lose value. The minute you select and it's somebody else and the team didn't make the decision, immediately lose most of the value. About 10 to 15% of the time in total of who you draft, 
they pan out to be a, a, a starting level player or better or better. 85% of the time, no matter what you do, they're going to stink it up. 85, 80, 85% of the time, it's really difficult to hit on guys in the draft. And why keep all of the picks and then waste all of the picks if they can't play? It makes no sense. You got, you just mathematically, this is like an algebra equation. If you just got to, it makes no sense to keep them. There's no logical end game that they could be pointing to. Like we're not, the, we're not the thunder, you know, with like 15 spots open for G League talent. And we could just keep loading up on a, a whole new five, you know, five, six draft crop of players, you know, like, this is not, that's not how this is. You got all these veterans trying to win games too. So what, what is it? What, what is the plan? I think that's what a lot of people are asking themselves today. What is the plan? We don't know. We don't know what direction they want to go in. They're unclear about it. There should be doing nothing is an absolute disaster. Like that would just prove there's no plan. They don't know what they're doing yet. If they do make, um, I don't know what the word is, but a concerted effort to do something, either build out the team that brings out the best in RJ, which I'm not comparing apples to apples that RJ is James Harden, but RJ has proven in this recent stretch that he's a very good driver and he's very good at drawing fouls. So if you just put people like Quentin Grimes around him and keep Mitch the rim runner, build a team out like that if you are going to do something like of worth. Otherwise, just clear the dead wood, bring Deuce in, play Cam, like start to you know, build up the youth guys, build up some excitement heading into the summer because <laughs> look at Alec Burke's excitement. It's zero. There was almost probably even lower than zero if that's even possible. So I like doing something. You have to do something. Like something has to happen by four, by 3 p.m. I think from that very first game against the Spurs, like the very first time I saw them on the floor together, I was like, oh yeah. Like the first time I saw them run a pick and roll, I was like, we need to build this team around RJ Mitchell Robinson. Like, I've always thought the world of Mitchell Robinson, I think the sky's the limit for him. I think he's, like, you know, and he's, he's seeing him come into that, dominate games the way he has recently. Like, when when he's dominating the way he is and RJ's running the offense and everybody knows high screens, like, I feel like we're a very dangerous team. So, yeah, we really should build the roster kind of around. You've got Mitchell. You've got, you know, you have your five. You have your anchor. You have your rim running big. You know, he, he's, like, really good. He's grabbing boards. He's getting offensive rebounds. He's changing shots at the rim all that stuff you've got that you've got rj who's a really good two-way you, you know you can, like you've got grimes i feel like grimes like you said he fits really well next to rj he doesn't really need the ball in his hands and he's gonna you know grow as a scorer as time goes um yeah like i i just think that's how we should be playing basketball even part of the reason i want guys getting out is because i want to see us playing different basketball after this like i want to watch us run like consistently, like I, I, after the trade deadline, like I want to see a team that pushes the pace, gets up the floor and like tries to force turnovers, take advantage of turnovers, get out. Like we we aren't playing well in the half court, especially not for extended, but not, not consistently. So run and get more opportunities and like maybe unlock different parts of certain players. Like we have a team We keep saying, I'm so tired of saying, I'm tired of saying most things about this team, which is why I need us to make moves. I'm tired of talking about this team. If we have to cover this team for the rest of the year, goodness, bro. Like, you see, the board says, hello, darkness, my old friend. Like, I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, it's just, they have no good, like, they're play, they have an offense that's built if you have, like, Kevin Durant or, like, somebody that could really score in the half court. The only person that's even coming close to that right now with a half court bag is RJ, and he's not there yet. So running would really be the way to go. 
and they could still do that with Randall. I know Randall is still trying to become like he's still one B or one A, whatever you want to say. But even he's being misused. I think you can use him as a small ball five in stretches, and Thibodeau's not even doing that. So I really think he Thibodeau is becoming the real problem here. I think he's just stuck in his own ways. And I really think, I mean, I know we fought for years for coaches to have full control, but I think Thibodeau is a case where you kind of just have to give him the pieces and let him work out because if he has control, we're already seeing what that's looking like. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, reportedly Tibbs wanted Evan Fournier, which still blows my mind. Uh, That's wild. That's a conclusion that he, he came to on his own. I don't get, you know, of all the times when we say, like, oh, that guy's a Tibbs player, that guy's a Tibbs player, we always say things like, you know, like he, we know what he likes, like the physical short point guards, right? He likes those guys. We've seen a, a bunch of different guys like that fit that mold, right? Um, Derek Rose, obviously, Taj Gibson, you know, these, these guys who, who work really hard and never really stop, who always give you good minutes, you know, um, you know what they're bringing to the table. And it's, it's really an every night thing. Like when Derek Rose plays bad, normally it's like very noticeable when he's, you know, healthy and rolling. Like it's, both both ends of the ball now too. Like it, there was a stretch for like a week where he was playing like dog shit this year. It was like the only week, and I was just so like it was so stark. You know what I mean? Like oh, he's not making anything. He's got five turnovers in twelve minutes. Like this is not. You know what I mean? Like it was very obvious. And then he went right back. To like all right, I'm good again. I had a good game, and he's rolling. Like you know what you're getting from tips players. I'm like Fournier is not that guy. So I'm I'm confused by I that. I think he is. I think not to cut you off, but. Outside of Derrick Rose and Jimmy Butler, what Thibodeau guy is actually very good? Like, all I, th- all I know, like, when you say Thibodeau guy, I just know, all right, this guy's a hardo. He's going to go hard for 48 minutes. I don't think he's that translates to being good. I think Rose and Butler are the only guys that I can say are good Thibodeau guys. The rest of the guys are just going to play defense. Like, congratulations. We need to score points. I mean, yeah. I mean, you're not. You're not off, off. But yeah, I mean, they, I, I don't know, man. You would just think, like, I just don't get a Fournier was the guy. I just, I just can't, I can't imagine Tom Thibodeau sitting in his office watching every Fournier film, like games, just games after game after game. He's just, you know, chewing on, chewing on an Orlando Magic tape on a, a late on a Tuesday night. It's like 1 a.m., just watching Magic footage, and he's like, man. This is the fucking guy. I need this guy. I'm going. I'm marching in tomorrow. I'm talking to West. Talking to Leon. This is the guy. They got to get me him. I don't care what it costs. Give him twenty million a year. You got to get this guy. I can't imagine how that could have happened. I, I would. I would pay good money to have been a fly on the wall when Tibbs had the epiphany that it had to be Evan Fournier. I, I wish I could have been there or in his brain as it happened. I would love to have known how he ended up on that guy. That to me is like. Of all the mysteries this year, that to me is like maybe my favorite one because I can't, no matter which way I try to make it like happen in my head, you know, it's just not, it doesn't work. It doesn't, it's an unbelievable, it really is truly unbelievable. I'm, I'm I'm just a little, I'm scared. I'm scared because I'm scared that we're going to get like, I'm like, okay, there's no news coming today. We're about to play a game. I doubt we're going to drop trade news during the game. And I'm like, okay, can I wake up? Like, I woke up this morning, like, 7.30. I was like, nah, too early. Nothing's going to drop yet. And I went back to sleep. So I was like, I want to wake up to somebody being off this team. And unfortunately, I wasn't that fortunate. So, you know, here's the beautiful thing about the American dream, man. We get to try again tomorrow. 
So I'm really hoping I wake up to a trade tomorrow. But then at that point, the, then the clock starts. I show 24. Like, that's all I'm going to hear that whole time until like, you know, just, uh, that's the worst feeling because we felt that feeling before, but it's never been like, there's been times where I wanted something to happen at the deadline, but I feel like it was never because we were like in this position of, okay, we've got a solid team currently if we make the right moves and we can make a, we, like we just came off a playoff run. And even if not, we're trying to pivot to the right thing future-wise, whatever. Like, I feel like there's never been this much like necessity at the trade that like, yo, this needs to happen. It may be things I wanted to happen. We have things that need to happen. So like, I know the feeling all the time of like, you know, 257 and it's like, oh my goodness, like this is, please, I need a notification in these next two minutes. And then 302 comes and it's like, haven't got anything yet. Like hopefully something comes late to the league office. Like that one time in 2004, like it's not, it's not happening. So I, really, I, I don't want that this year, man. I need to wake up to a trade tomorrow. I can't deal with the stress and anxiety. It's too much. There's already too much going on. I just, I can't do it. I'm already getting preparing for the, well, the Knicks checked in on so-and-so, but deal never materialized. Because I guarantee we're going to get at least two clips of that. Of a certain player that got dealt that we didn't expect to get dealt. They're like, well, the Knicks did check in, but ultimately decided the price was too high. Guarantee. Always always happens, man. It happens every single time. It never makes any sense. Um, so, I mean, we, look, we'll see what happens tonight. But the, the last thing I wanted to get to here, because, you know, we got a, we got a mailbag to get to also. And we also, you know, have Charles Oakley joining us on the back half of this pod to uh, talk about his book, The Last Enforcer. So, couple things we got to get to here, but in not trade news, you know, uh, another Jake Fisher nugget from today was that the Knicks are focused on re-signing Mitchell Robinson, which, yeah, sure. Uh, I think we've all been, you know, hoping that Mitch would get extended or paid. Uh, I think, you know, we, RJ and Mitch were the ones that you assumed were going to probably get paid, um, assuming they didn't trade them to this point. Mitch, it seems like I know, you know, everybody's on on pins and needles. So I know when he was uh, announced out today, everybody was like, "Oh no, here we go." This this smells like I saw a bunch of replies in the PR that, "Oh man, what this smells like a Mitch trade?" I don't know. Like, you know, relax a little bit. You know, maybe you never know. It could be anything, but it seems like the Knicks uh, intend to pay him. Which I mean, he got robbed on his rookie contract. I mean, scheme. I mean, an abysmal. I would say the guy who made the deal should get fired, but he he got fired, and then so did like six other guys. So, I mean, somebody better make sure Mitch gets paid. But um, you know, I want to open it up to you guys at least on that discussion um, because I know we talked about it the other night in the post game, one of the post game spaces, Sean, about what he could be worth, and you know, some a lot of there were a, a sizable amount of Knicks fans that were pretty convinced he was going to get twenty twenty five million dollars a year. Um, I just want to know where you guys are at with what you think he'll get paid and just overall, like, you mean, feelings on that because that seemed to be the one good silver lining thing that came out of today. Uh, personally, I didn't know he was out tonight. That actually has me very, very sad because um, that means, one, more Nerlens Noel, which is the worst thing possible. No, Nerlens Noel. He's out, too. is also out. It's going to be Nerlens a is also out. Oh, nope. this is going to be interesting. Joker versus Tosh. Well, yeah. Let, let me yeah, let me what, actually what? read you the tweet because there was there was a sizable amount of people who were actually ruled out today, and it was it was a bit uh it was a bit jarring. Hold on, here we go. Okay, the official tweet was 
uh, out. So Quentin Grimes is out with a sore left knee. Erlens Noel is out, also with a sore left knee. Mitchell Robinson is out with a sore lower back. Eric Rose uh, is, of course, still out. So that's that's basically it. Now, this comes a night after uh, Mitchell Robinson, I mean, was just an absolute monster in uh, Utah. I mean, Best game of his career, easily. Best game of his career, set a career high rebound. Um, just, I mean, an absolute Mitchell Robinson masterclass. Uh, I mean, they, they lost, but I mean, he was... 19 points, 21 rebounds. Even had an assist, two steals, three blocks. Um, you know, got to the line six times. Just, you know, 10 of those boards were offensive rebounds, by the way. And I also only somehow had one foul. Like, that's and about On top of perfect. those three blocks. Oh, my bad. On top of those three blocks, he changed so many shots. Like, uh-huh. he, was, he was wildly impactful last night. And, um, yeah, I mean... Him being out tonight is going to suck, but beyond that, I mean, I, I hope that's not anything favorable. I don't think it is. I think it would be kind of stupid to trade Mitch. Um, but I, as far as what to pay him, I mean, I feel like, we, you know, I feel like we, we've done it a few times where we, like, compared it to the Robert Williams deal, which is four years, $54 million, And I think it would be somewhere around there. I think if he keeps playing like he is right now, like he's on a great stretch right now, I think if he keeps playing the way he is right now, he might make his way up to four years, 60 maybe maybe even 65 even i don't think it would get to the 20 a year range um you know jared allen got that but it was kind of wild when he did um but i I don't think that's really the market but either way man i'm gonna be happy for mitch when he gets his back he deserves it because yeah he did really go through a lot he got ripped off terribly he had a scotty pippen-esque setup during his rookie deal um yeah i'm kind of in the same boat as sean i think 60 mil should probably be the ceiling 15 per year I think uh, 40, uh, 50, year, 50 million over four years. Sorry. I think that's the sweet spot you want to get them at 12 and a half. And you could probably still get that maybe with incentives like they had, like the Sixers had when Embiid can build that up to 17 per year or 15 per year, depending on what the initial price tag is. But talent wise, I think the talent's there. He proves that he wants to work. He's always been a gym rat. He's out of shape now, but I feel like that's more to injuries than anything because he's always been getting better. His fouls have come way down. Very rare do you see the stupid fouls that he was making in his first couple of years. So I think you reward people that put in the work. And I really do think they can get him at 12 and a half per year because his paid, I mean, what is he making now? Like one and a half million? That's a joke. So I think anything is a vast upgrade for him. And I think I find it very hard to believe anyone's going to beat 12 and a half per year. But if that is the case, like I said, I would make 15 my limit. Yeah, I think he, I think he uh, could get fifteen. Um, I always like to give gaps, like a like a big gap where I think because you never the the thing with this stuff too is a lot of people always like to I, I bring this up a lot. People gotta understand, even fans, the business of basketball. Um, you know, guys might want certain figures or numbers versus what the team might offer versus what somebody else may have got on a comparable deal. So it's not always like when Jared Allen got twenty five million, and I personally think they're you know the you know he's as good as Jared Allen, therefore he should get paid twenty five. It doesn't really work that way. Um, so I think I think twelve to me it's like twelve thirteen is like what he should get. I think what he should get if the Knicks are being you know a little more generous with it, and it's still perfectly fine is like fifteen. I think twelve to fifteen is like probably where he should be. Uh, if it was like 
just above that, I don't think I'd be that upset. I think if it was like, you know, once you start getting to 20 million and up in, in that territory, I think for a guy who, again, as great as he is defensively and as great as he's really been recently since he started uh, to round into shape, um, I don't think he's undeserving, but I think when, you know, we see deals like that with centers sometimes, and then those guys, you know, they're like high, high floor. They'll help you have a higher floor, but like the ceiling doesn't really help you all the way. So they're a perfectly great piece to have for some period of time. You know what I mean? But it's like, you know, are they really worth, you know, 20 and up? I, I think you can question that when there's limitations on the offensive side of the ball. You know, obviously the offensive rebounding help. You've got good awareness around the room for the putbacks, things like that. You know, it's not like an unimportant thing, but I think we're trying to play fast, score more points. You know what I mean? It's like, does how much does he really help on the offensive side of the ball that way? And especially we talked about how they don't even run the offense optimally where we're running pick and rolls. But you have two high flyers on this team as far as I'm concerned, one on, one on the bench, one of on the starting group, and you don't really let them fly as much as they should. Like Mitchell Robinson should always be up there trying to catch them. There should be. And if he's not, then Obi Toppin should be in there trying to catch something. Like there, you should always have the threat of somebody doing that. But we, we don't really scare anybody that way. So it is what it is. So maybe he could be more involved offensively. I don't know. But I, I just still think there's kind of a cap on what he brings to you in that aspect. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think um, anywhere from like 40, high 40s to like 60s, probably his territory, um, thereabouts. I mean, we'll see what he ends up getting. I would assume he probably wants to get paid. I know he got ripped off in that first deal. So he's going to want to get paid. I'm not saying that in like a selfish way, but like in a deserving way, he should want to. And then um depends how much he wants to push from there. I think, you know, he's probably going to want Robert Williams' money. I think that's probably fair. Um, We'll see how, I guess, how far north or, you know, whatever he gets of it, but. That's kind of what I, I've been thinking just for him. I thought Jared Allen was more like situational with how he got paid. In fairness, I didn't think that was like, you know, and he, he's having like a, a, a near all-star level season. Too, so I'm not trying to like diminish what he's doing. He's been really, like really terrific. But I, I think when he got paid, it was more, well, we just, I mean, it was just after a big trade, right? Or the Nets didn't, the Nets didn't do it. It was after he got traded. He got paid really with the Cavs. So the Cavs were just locking in immediately a guy that a good young talent they traded for, which is reasonable. It's sort of what you do. I thought it was a bit much, but you know, it's you know not not to really even make fun of Cleveland on this podcast because they're doing like a tremendous job this season. They're the best, one of the best surprises, if not the best, in the NBA. But um, it's hard to sign free agents for certain cities. It just is like when LeBron was there, it was easier for obvious reasons. But um, in general, it's hard for certain. Like Utah, right? Utah doesn't get anybody. That's why you signed Rudy Gobert to a two hundred something million dollar deal. Like, you know, like that's sometimes you just do it. So I understood that for Jared Allen. That that's what I felt. This was before Mobley even. So there's no guarantees. You had a good big man. You thought you were locking in a, a good defensive anchor for the future. I thought it was more like they were the only buyers given the trade and you know the context was they had to pay it. I don't know. I thought that was different. I didn't think it's like open market like everyone's chucking 20 million at Mitchell Robinson the only way to get him is if you pay 25 you know I I didn't think it, it didn't feel like that to me. so it's good that they're they're trying to take care of him at least I thought even if you're not aggressive even if you don't make all the trades you want or at least lock it up Mitch you're 
you know, that that to me, for all, all the talk about like Fournier being a trade chip this year, which I always thought was hilarious because you see how hard it is to move him now. Like Mitchell Robinson would genuinely be a trade chip. Not in a, I'm trying to get rid of him way, but like you now have a very impactful center on a deal that isn't going to kill anybody's cap. Like he could come in and almost, I mean, a number of teams' rosters at, at like, like even like 15 to 17 million, right? For what he brings in terms of defensive impact when he's rolling like this as a starter. So, like, it's not unreasonable to think even like, oh, two years down the line, you know, we're, we're really trying to swing for a star or whatever. You know, yeah, it's, it sucks, but, you know, Mitchell Robinson's a real good player, good contract, helps us make the money work, whatever. You know, we could part ways with him. Like, that's a real trade piece. Like, not just we signed Noel to a bullshit three-year deal trade piece like this is a real trade piece so that's how you keep a young player you pay him and you kind of keep your option open for the future a little bit too so that would be a deal i'd be very interested in i i think he deserves to get paid and i'd like to see it and finally we start getting some of these young guys paid here so it never happens it never happens probably ward curse nobody ever gets paid it'd be nice to see mitchell robinson rj bear collect some new york nick checks on a second contract just wouldn't be But um, let's get to the mailbag. You know, just want to hop in because people were feisty today and rightfully so. So there was a lot of things that people wanted to either, you know, ask or um, just kind of vent about whatever. So uh, first one I'm going to read is from at MJK underscore NY31, uh, our, our guy Doc. Why would we trade a first for Cam just to never play him and then go and thirst over Harrison Barnes? I'd love Excellent to know. Question. Yeah, I'd love to know. <laughs> but that's why I've chosen to believe it's not true. That's that's my advice. If it doesn't make sense to you, just tell yourself it's not true. You don't have to face the music until it really happens. And most times nothing will happen. So just tell yourself it's not true, man. Don't trust yourself out over things that aren't gonna happen. Wait till they do and then be mad or figure out how you feel. Words of wisdom. Uh our, our buddy Brian Giberman. Will Kyle take his <laughs> anger out more on Mike or Sean? Uh, you know, I mean, su- surprisingly tame tonight. I think everybody's maybe surprised. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for, for the Thursday, the Thursday night reaction pod to go nuclear. I'm trying to conserve my energy. I almost gave my myself a stroke last week, stressing out. I'm trying to chill out right now. So let me just, you know, Thursday, Thursday, they don't make any moves. You know, we 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 lose it. You know, tonight the boys are safe from this podcast. Everybody can breathe easy. Um, I'm just trying to find another question. Uh, another question here from at eric s vogel my question is what the hell is even going on that is a loaded question and a very good one like i said if they do if they do nothing there's literally no answer to that question if they do something like we'll know what's going on after the deadline but doing nothing is literally just going to make things worse so much worse yeah i that, that's another question. Can't answer until Thursday either. Because but, but, I'm with Kyle. Like, on Thursday, if nothing happens, I'm coming on here. Like, don't listen to this with your kids around. Sorry. Yeah. So, I mean, look, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, I look, I just, I don't love it, man. Uh, I, I just don't. They have, they have to make a move. I don't know how else to say it. They have to make a move. Um, I, I don't know what's going on. I wish they were more aggressive. Every every week, it seems like I, I say the same thing, and I just want them to do stuff. I just want my team to be good. And, you know, 
we, we've already seen these guys on this team for multiple seasons now. Like, you kind of know that unless they're on fire, like, you, you kind of know what's, what they are more or less most nights. And, you know, it helps you be a 500-ish team. Like, that just is what it is. And right now we're, what, five, six games under 500? So worse than that. So we're fading fast. Like, you need difference makers. Like, I, I like a bunch of these guys to some degree. I'm glad that they gave us last season, got us back on track in some right direction. Uh, I, I do appreciate that. But uh, that doesn't mean you got to just lock into them for four years either. So, you know, they, they got to do something. Um, so the next one from our uh, guy, Xavier, uh, at, at could be uh, X. Yeah, uh, could be yeah Xavier basically. Uh, just the text. sorry, but he's he's got his new. Uh, they got to free my guy. He he got his last account nuked. I don't know what happened. They got they got to free him. All right, I, the new account threw me off. But yeah, I mean, is that this isn't Zave? Yeah, well, yeah, he got. Yeah, he got nuked. Yeah, oh, that, yeah, that's yeah, that's him, Sean. Yeah, so. Sad, sad dad. Uh, no, not to, not to. Nobody cares about our Twitter drama ever here. But yeah, they gotta. Tw- Twitter's gotta fix it. But uh, he said, "What do y'all see as the way forward for this team? As in, who should be built? Who should be uh, built around on this current roster? How can they be most optimized, ideal coach for the group?" Johnny Bryant for the coach, and then in terms of people to build around, I think I said earlier, but RJ at the very center. And then I would keep Grimes, Mitchell Robinson, and then everybody else, more or less, as much as I love them, they're expendable, in my opinion. Uh, same here. Uh, RJ, RJ for sure. Um, Mitchell Robinson, um, he's the anchor. I love Quentin Grimes with what he does and how he fits and how excited for how he can grow and fit next to RJ. Um, but yeah, everybody else is expendable. I love Emmanuel quickly, uh, but I can't put him in that class of, you know, I want to I want to see him hit shots again. I really miss watching him hit shots. It's really painful. It's really hurting me. Uh, last night was probably his worst game ever. I don't think that was unrelated to the fact that Tibbs gave him a quick hook after five minutes in the Lakers game, even though he wasn't playing well. It just doesn't make, doesn't make any sense. How can we get to not play well for two months? But I mean, we cannot play well for five minutes. Okay. My Thibodeau fatigue is really I like I knew it would take it would be a very short time, but it's really like is it usually this fast? I don't know, but it, it I've reached my limit. I mean people I say you're criminal. They say just, year two Tibbs, but usually it seems statistically like year three is the issue. So this does feel a little too fast to keep it a buck with you. I think year two is usually when people first start to realize issues they have, and then year three is when things actually crumble. But for us do so happen to call inside right now. Yeah, it's just, so I mean, I want to take up time, but just one more time. It's just like, it's his unwillingness to change a failing plan. Like, he's a smart guy. I'm never going to say I'm smarter than him or anybody smarter than him in terms of basketball, at least not in the NBA, like non-pros. But his unwillingness to change is laughable. It's just really laughable. Yeah, I don't. I don't really get it, man. I think I just think he's like a phase one coach. That's why I could describe it. And the and the lack, like, it's the unwillingness to change, like the lack of adjustment, but like the lack of creativity and like basic creativity too. Like the fact that, like, I saw a stat today. The homie Jeff put it on the timeline, and it was like 
Obi in his minutes is like in the 92nd percentile for rim protection. Like he's not, you know, he's not Mitchell Robinson or some pain enforcer, but neither is Nonis Noel. Like we're not getting elite rim protection on Nonis Noel this year. Nobody like, I think we're just used to him. The only thing Nonis Noel has done well this year is head screen. Literally. That's the only basket, the only thing he's done well on the basketball court. And Nerland's been trying to dribble like lately. I don't know what that's about, but that needs to stop ASAP. Stop dribbling the basketball. Immediately. Like, Immediately. You can like, barely catch. You can't even catch. I'm not even going to say you could barely catch. You cannot catch a basketball and you're going to try to put the ball on the floor. Are you out of your fucking mind? Like, there was no way. Coming into this season, I was like, there's got to be a way, especially with the way that he was working in the offseason, the way that he improved and did everything we needed him to do in summer league, the way that he looked coming into the year, the, like, progression he's made in this game. I was like, there's no way you don't get Obi Top in 20 minutes a game on this team. No way. And it's very easy to do so. But just, instead, we're doing the Nerns Noel thing. Even though we keep losing games, well, not, not in our last 11, we're still doing the same things we were doing 11 games ago. Yeah, no, um, I just, I'm still stunned to this, you know, every day that they don't go to like the Randall Obi thing more. I just, I, I just thought, even for Tibbs, I just thought it was a low bar to clear like playing semi-modern basketball like that's not even like an unusual version of small ball that we're asking for like like for the like if he was being like extreme with small ball he'd be doing it in a way with like rj barrett's playing the four sometimes that's exciting that's an exciting small ball experiment right like that now we're getting a little nuts like then you could talk about some different stuff uh, that i would understand right if he wasn't prepared to do that i'm like all right i get it i would like to see it i would try it i'm also a madman right like you know it is what it is but like you're asking for a guy who plays power forward to play some center, which is the thing a lot of power forwards do in the NBA. Guys play both positions uh, when they need to. So I figured out of like just pure normalcy, I thought he'd come in and play some center minutes because normally to get good bigs minutes, you just split them up a little bit. You know, okay, we want we want him mostly as the four backing up Julius. Makes sense. That's fine. I don't really disagree there fully. But then, yeah, he should also be getting minutes at the five. And even if you don't do it, like, even if he's only playing 20 minutes and you're splitting him up 10 and 10, he plays a little, like, you know, a couple little bursts here at center. And then the rest of his, you know, 10 minutes is like Julius backup time. Like, what's wrong with that? Like, there's, there is no problem. I'm just, I'm surprised that, like, that's where he's drawing the line in terms of being, like, so like formal and traditional with like the, the positional roles. I just don't get why he's locked into like, he can't play center. Uh, that, that to me is like just the, it, it'll irk me all year. Uh, I think it's just, it's something that you've heard from like literally everybody. It's a, it's a fan complaint. It's an analyst complaint. It's a, uh, you know, just a, a great number of people seem to be asking the same question and why you don't see it more. So it's stuff like that that bothers us, but you know, I mean, to just go back to the the question, though, I mean, I I I'd want to build around RJ. I think that's the way to do it if you're going to do it and pick somebody. I think that's the only talent, you know, younger talent that you'd be doing that sort of picking a guy and running with him thing. Um, I think that you know, in any case, even if you keep Randall and RJ, and that's the direction you go. Um, whether you just go with RJ and Randall moves even in the summer, right? I feel like the plan is still sort of the same. You still need to figure out a way to spread the floor better and space the floor out and surround RJ or RJ and Randall with proper, consistent shooting and creation. 
And if you don't do that, you're going to have problems. I think it's very simple. So if you do it with RJ and you, and you turn into more of a, a pick and roll team in terms of getting downhill to attack the paint that way, I think that's a fine pivot. But if you do that, you know, eventually teams will try to take away the pick and roll with him and Mitch, right? So you, well, what's the counter to that? Well, you need a consistent secondary score to catch those kickouts, make something happen. And we know that that guy consistently is at Evan Fournier despite the on-fire month that's impossible to sustain because he's shooting almost 50% deep. So who would that guy be? I think that's like what the approach kind of should be in terms of what they're going to do and how they could be optimized. Um, you know, but you need to have like real consistent, like kind of bucket getting creation to be able to do that. And if they don't add that piece, then they're going to be in trouble. But that's how they would be most optimized. You know, that's just to me how it would go. And the ideal coach, I, I don't know. I feel like coaches are, different coaches are available all the time. I, you know, always start with what you have, like a Johnny Bryant, you know, just see if he's ready. I, I think that's fine. See if he's got it. But most importantly, does he have a different philosophy? He'd be willing to enact. I just want to hear that kind of stuff more. Because the last time we heard it was from Fizdale, who was a snake oil salesman who told us we were going to play fast and shoot threes and, you know, and then nothing happened. So, you know, just come in and, and just do it. You know what the team needs. You, you kind of can see it. Um, and just in terms of like, uh, you know, how they'd be optimized, like that Lakers game was a great example. I thought they played a real, you know, a hell of a game for the most part. I thought, you know, not to, you know, this is a, a trade pod, not to recap, you know, too much about recent events, but, you know, I felt almost the exact same way as uh, like the Grizzlies loss. Like, I thought it was a real good loss. I hate, I hate even saying that in this pod. It's, to me, it's such a loser thing to say out loud. It's something I always just keep to myself. I thought it was a, re a real good loss, man. I thought they played really well. RJ and Randall, obviously, but how they played too. I thought it was really just Malik Monk going nuts in the third, and we, we scored 13 points in the third. I just thought it, it was like the, the worst possible time to go cold, but also he was on fire, and that was kind of the difference maker in the end, really, because RJ even got them back in it with that last three, hit a big shot. I mean, he, he had a great night. He had a great night, but they played fast. They played fast is my point. You know, they had their most success when they were playing fast, Randall and RJ. So in terms of optimization, whether it was just RJ alone, he definitely benefits from that play style. But even Randall, like, if they encourage this team to play faster, if you gave them maybe better pieces, faster pieces to play with alongside them, I feel like you'd be okay. That's, you know, I just feel like Kemba hasn't been able to set them up and get them into their offense or really play that fast. You know, it, it comes and goes with him. And then Fournier, obviously, we know isn't really a pace type of player. So, I mean, it kind of puts you in a, a pickle. And then Mitch, like Mitch is usually trying to rebound with Julius, right? So those guys are at the rim. They're not running. So who's running? Like, it, do you trust Kemba on the break? Passing up layups to throw up behind him? Like, you know, it's like th these are kind of the issues that we've been having. So I just think... Uh, space and shooting is what you got to optimize no matter what going forward, like re real shooting and scoring. And then you figure out the coach and shit later. But, um, let me just try to read a couple more here. As far as trading for expiring contracts, what players are you guys okay with acquiring for opening up cap space for the summer? And then he mentions, you know, Joe Engels, Goran Dragic, et cetera. I think Dragic is like 19 million expiring. You know, Engels, I know, just tore his ACL. I don't even know if he – I understand his question. I, I just – I'm 
thinking aloud now. Even though if you could trade somebody just for their ACL, it seems like not a thing you could do. Maybe in the offseason you can. I don't know. But that's from uh, at Bankhead718. At the point of frustration with Kemba, Burks, and Noel, that I would trade them for a pack of backwoods. So bring on any expiring. A pack of backwoods is hilarious. Yeah, I would literally trade them for whatever. Like they can go. Get them off the team. Don't care what comes back. Uh, I believe you can trade for Joe Ingles. It's the thing it should be. I mean, it, the Cavs just traded Ricky Rubio. So, um, honestly, I wouldn't be able to. Yeah, like I, if they want to do that, that's fine. If they, whoever they want, whoever you want, take them. Anybody who wants to take anybody, take them. Take any of those four guys are available easily. You don't even have to return anything. Like send back like a, like you know, in the sneaker exchanges, people would send like an empty box of shoes. Like go ahead, bro. I don't care. Let's bring the printer trades back. Look, we got what? So 3 p.m. Friday or Thursday, right? Yep. 3 p.m. Thursday. It's now nine o'clock on Tuesday. So this uh, Nuggets game is about to start. We'll probably cut it here soon anyway. And then, uh, you know, hopefully watch us not get obliterated by a, a 60, 40, 20 game from Nikola Jokic. Uh, I would, I mean, there's no, there's no Mitch, there's no Noel. So, I mean, yeah, pain, pain. God, I mean, coming, God, God, Sims God, coming God, out party. I mean, I there hope I mean, Sims coming out party. He does play well when we need him to. I will say, like he's played sparingly this season, but I forgot which game it was. But we needed him, and he actually showed out. I forgot which game it was though. I remember talking about that. Yeah, this will be the performance that like solidifies it. Where it's like, okay, he is now the backup big finally. Yeah. So. I mean, look, we'll we'll see. Hopefully, we get what we want tonight. But normally, we do not get what we want. So, uh, we'll we'll look forward to this. We we will uh, let you guys now enjoy the the rest of this podcast. Now, uh, before before we even get into the, the Charles Oakley segment of this podcast, I would just like for everybody's rolling their eyes. I can feel it collectively right now. Okay, I would implore you to relax. It was, it, honestly, it, it was much better than I thought it was going to go. I thought, you know. It was a real, it was a real friendly sit down. Yeah, he, he actually had a lot of very spot on stuff with the current Nick. Me and Sean felt, you know, they nailed some stuff about. I mean, he's if if you give it an honest listen, you think you'd be okay. There's nothing. You're not gonna, you're not gonna like five minutes from now turn it on and then you're gonna start hearing like nasty malicious Nick stuff. So just you'll be, you guys will be okay. You know, it's just a lot of Twitter reactions, you know, over this like, you know. Listening to this guy I've seen over the years, you know, this hear him out. It was not bad. It was a good people, talk. I, I enjoyed it. People just hate listening to the truth because, all right, three things if you really are adamant about not giving Oak the time of day. One, that means you are choosing to side with James Dolan because that is the only true beef Oakley has. Two, his stuff on Patrick Ewing isn't like awful, it's actually spot on if you put in the context. Three, you are siding with James Dolan. What are you doing in your life? And like I'm not gonna lie, like you know, going and I feel like take it from me, it's it's definitely worth listening. You feel me? Hear him out. Um, he's not like I I I was upset as a fan, you know. I, but I, I think my biggest beef was him and taking the pictures in the net stuff. I think that was like weird to me, but that was part of his beef with him. You know, whatever. Right, that's it is. valid. That's valid. Yeah, it is what it is. As far as the thing with Patrick, I didn't like the way it seemed like he was speaking on Patrick, but when we spoke to him, he was just like, hey, man, like, he just gave his objective opinion about, and the thing I also respect 
is that he's literally just answering questions. It's not his fault. He says what he thinks. Um, and, but I, I can always respect that. You say what you think. He's consistent with it. Like, this is my perspective. He wasn't trying to be messy or anything like that. So shout out to Charles Oakley. Check out, check it out. At the end of the day, that's the 90s next legend. Um, and you know, it was an honor to be able to be on the pod with him. So you guys check that out. You'll enjoy it. And you know, you may catch yourself like, and it feels good to let things go sometimes. Like after I was like, oh wow, you know what? It felt that feels good. Like to not have to have any negative like kind of thought in my when with the name. That's good. It was nice. So do Nick's that royalty. Nick's world. Yeah, I think sometimes we get stuck in like, you know, look, I, I know we're always in auto defense world with this team. I understand that I understand how you guys get there, but like, you know, not everything's like a, a lifelong personal uh, vengeance that we gotta have with people is my only thing. But I, again, I, I understand, you know, certain comments people are gonna have certain reactions to that's sports, that is what it is, but on this particular sit down, we didn't. I didn't feel anything, you know. So I, I think you guys would actually enjoy it. So again, give it a listen. Uh, I think you know, what we talk about the book for sure, but also we talk about current stuff with the next that I think you guys will find interesting. So we'll uh, let you guys enjoy that now. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this trade uh, trade deadline special edition. Uh, you know, try to bring you something real quick uh, ahead of the deadline because there were so many a flurry of moves today, and I felt like we had a. We we had to at least talk about a couple of our, our possibilities being eliminated here. So just wanted to catch every I mean, even down to the Harrison Barnes thing. I feel like we really top to bottom. I mean, you guys had everything in this. So hopefully this answers your questions for the next thirty-six hours. And you know, Thursday we'll come live to you guys. We will, you know, chop it up on spaces, I assume, but we will also have a podcast recorded coming out that day. And uh hopefully they make a move, man. I don't know what else we can keep saying, but for the 800th time this year, hopefully they do something. We hope they do something. In an ideal world, by the time you guys hear this pod, it's outdated. I'm sorry. But like, that's, I would love to wake up tomorrow and there's news. And it's like, well, it's not in the pod, unfortunately, but I woke up to news. Like, that's how bad I need the news. So, yeah, I mean, I'll, t- I'll take it one further. I would almost like to have to do this twice. I would love to have to scrap this whole pod because something happened that immediately made it sound hilarious. And not just outdated, but like we couldn't even use it. That would be the best case scenario where I got to trash the whole thing. I got to wake you guys up with the crack and dawn and we got to go again. That would be the best case scenario. So I would like for that to happen uh, because this, this angsty wishing of trades to happen that I know won't is, is the last thing that I feel like doing at any pod, but it is what it is. So again, We'll get out of here, hopefully. Hopefully there's a move. Hopefully we get a win tonight. Enjoy the Charles Oakley interview. And we will talk to you guys next time, hopefully after a series of moves. Let's go next. Take it easy. Adios. And joining us now on the Knicks Wall Podcast is a, is a very special guest. It's a Knicks legend. Uh, it's a guy who just has a, a new book that came out, The Last Enforcer. And that person is Charles Oakley. So, Charles, welcome to the program. Uh, here's the book, which my blurred background is now blurring yeah. out, which yeah, that's okay. unfortunate. I'll fix that. But uh, yeah. how's everything going, Charles? How you doing? Everything's good. We you know we just want to get into this book. Uh, a lot of good stories, a lot of things about my life, career, dealing with people. So this book got a lot of information in it. And people, a lot of stuff in people that know about me, they'll find out about me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, as I was going through it, look, I mean, we know you're an outspoken person. And, of course, that, that makes you who you are uh, as a fellow outspoken man. Uh, I, I respect it, of course, you know, saying things that, you know, just got to be said versus, you know, things that maybe people want to hear. But um, I thought it made for 
you know, a, a good a good read, an insightful read, because it's stuff that you're not always going to get from the same. Uh, this is the same book experience. A lot of people want to tell the same stories over and over again in the same kind of way to, to appeal to people. But I, I enjoyed the refreshing aspect of it that you dropped in. But I just wanted to start off by asking you, you know, the book's called The Last Enforcement. I thought that was a very apt title. Um, what is, let's, you know, very bare bones, but let's start with, with that word in and of itself. I mean, what, what does being an enforcer mean to you, I guess, when you were a player anyway? And uh, what is, do you think kind of happened to that role in, in today's NBA, uh, the, the modern game has kind of maybe got away from that position a little? Well, you know, in this book, you know, we talk about, you know, in my book, we talk about the 90s and 80s, how basketball was played. And, you know, everybody had to play their part. And I didn't think I was an enforced guy. It was like I always had my teammate back on the floor, playing my role to the fullest, power forward. You got to play with force. Uh, it was just, you know, a name that when you do some consistency and people look at you and say, wow. And then and with a name like that, it fit the mold. Yeah, no, for for sure. I mean, that's obviously, you know, growing up as a, as a younger Nick at that time, that was obviously what was uh, drilled into us about what you brought to the table uh, in that position and uh, how you were able to help, you know, whichever teams you were on. You know, we know you were at the Bulls prior and uh, right. you know, played sort of a similar role there. But um, I did kind of just want to hop right in, at least on that Bulls-Knicks note, because I think that's probably one of the more uh, fascinating parts of your career, in my opinion anyway, is that you right. went right from – you know, the Bulls right to the Knicks, and that ended up being like the, the the big Eastern Conference rivalry that everybody remembers from that era. So, I mean, just for starters, I mean, what was it like, I guess, uh, the cultural aspect of playing for the Bulls first and then going over to the Knicks at that time? In the book, we talk a lot about the Knicks in the Bulls series, the 90s, but the culture was basically, you know, Chicago and Midwest and, you know, uh, grinding. Uh, you know, the Bears had just won a Super Bowl and, you know, the Bulls was on the rise. But when I got to New York, it was a team that, you know, was trying to find their identity. And I think, you know, I played there for 10 years, made the playoff every year, went to the finals once. But more of all, there's how much the crowd was involved, showing you love at the games, cheering you on. You know, um, New York got, it's just, you know, they named it twice, but it's a special place. And I just wish we would have won a championship in my era in New York, but we didn't. But the fans still show you love. As long as you go out and compete. You cannot fool the fans in New York about all this cute playing basketball. They want to see you give an effort every night. I think you're preaching to the choir about that part because that has been one of the big themes this season, not to stray too far off the book, but obviously whether it's been with Julius Randle or some of the other Knicks, I hear that word effort every single night, and it's the only thing the expand want to see. They, they they don't care if you lose by 20 as long as you're busting your ass out there every single night. And if they see you slacking, you know, especially possession to possession, yeah. that makes them more angry. I mean, you, you can go over 20, and they don't care as long as you're busting your ass. Yes. So basically, in this book, a lot of that in this book, uh, I think it's just a different ball game. These guys, is, they don't, they don't uh, take it. Like we took it, uh, they, something is missing because there's too many teams doing the same thing, not winning, no chemistry, bad body, not effort. So it's a lot of that in the league in this day and age because I don't think the talent is good as you know, now it was back in the 80s and 90s. I noticed ain't no pressure for us like demanding because they're real sensitive. So when you start talking about them, they, they, you know, they put their head between their legs, they call the agent. I mean, you got to man up. You know, you get a contract. 
I mean, you want all the money, but you got to produce. And this city, they, they're not going to let just let you go in and think you just sugarcoat it and just go home every day. No, they want to see getting loose ball, taking a charge. They don't do that these days. Yeah, uh, I mean, look, it's definitely true to a degree that this game in today's, you know, today's day and age, it feels a lot more finesse, you know, a yeah. lot more with, um, I think part of that was obviously the rule changes, you know, right. over time that, you know, that they made it so you couldn't even breathe on these players. But right. like this year, they, they've been trying to make more of an effort to let guys play a little bit more. But even then, we're still dealing with what kind of happened the last decade with the all out, you know, spread the floor, just drive and kick everything, you right. know, pull up for a three on everything. But, you know, we'll see because, uh, again, not to get too far off. But that's why I kind of like watching the Suns right now because the Suns go, they go inside, outside on you with uh, eight right. inside. You know, Booker and Chris Paul, they don't just sit behind the three-point line. They know how to actually get in, press into you, right. you know, beat, beat you up and beat you, you know, 10 different ways in the half court. Right. Well, so, you got to give them a lot of credit. Uh, I think that uh, Money Williams is a throwback coach. Yeah. And I think that um, in this book, you see that, you know, they want young, you know, sexy coaches on the, on, on the sideline. But my thing with basketball is what you're saying about the old days, what Phoenix doing, you got Cleveland playing the same way. You got a good point guard and garlic. They go in and out. They playing old school basketball. You got Memphis doing the same thing. They got a good point guard. So basically, all these teams we talking about, they gonna have a good point guard. If you ain't got a good point guard, you're not going nowhere because the point guard is making plays like garlic. You know, he's a new young guy, Cleveland guy. They had sex and he got hurt. And you see how John Morant playing. And he, he, I, you know, just he put that team on his back. I mean. He's taking the lead by stone right now. Even though Zion Williams got drafted before him, Zion Williams at home right now, 30, 40 pounds overweight, he in the NBA is balling. So he's the upcoming star because we need an upcoming star because LeBron don't have a maybe two years, three years left. KD, you know, but we need a, a yeah, them veteran star. We need a young stars. Um, Booker, I don't know why they keep jipping him about all-star. He should be a starting all-star team, but he's, he, he's hey, he on his he on his grind. He don't make it. He's still playing hard. Last year they go into the final. I got they're my favorite to win it right now because they add a couple of pieces and money go. You know, like I said, what happened last year. The thing is, when you lose a champ, when you go to the finals and lose the next year, is get back there. And when you can do that, you got a chance to win it. And I think they got a good chance of winning this year. Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. I, I think that they're one of the favorites, especially West has kind of been up in the air this year, a couple of newcomers, whatever. Lakers not playing as well as they should. So, I mean, they're, they're in a, a prime position. But just to take it a step back, because I know we mentioned the all-out, attack, uh, you know, offensive attacks of, the, of this day and age. But when you first got to the Knicks, actually, Rick Pitino, you joined the bomb squad. And they were yeah. actually launching a lot of threes at that time. So what, what was that like coming into an offensive system like that? But see... A lot of people don't know that. They, they, you know, we've always been bumping and grinding. But, yeah, Rick Bettina, he had offense, spread the floor, press defense. Uh, he was trying to insult, insert that into the game before, you know, 15 years here come Golden State doing the same thing, up-tempo, you know, shooting three. But, uh, you know, Rick was a feisty coach. Uh, he demanded a lot, even though we were shooting threes, this and that. You had to be in great shape. You had to know the game plan. Uh, Rick was, Rick, I mean, Rick left on his own, but, um, you know, he, he, the style he had, you know, it could have worked out because he had, you had to have the right players. He had the right players because, you know, Trent Tucker was a three-point shooter, Johnny Newman, Joe, I mean, so they called him the bomb squad. So, uh, 
So yeah, they, I mean, I mean, he did a good job. But like I said, he went he went on out and went back to college, and um, you know, uh, then you know, a few of the coaches, then Pat Riley came in and you know took us to the finals. Uh, I'll never forget that um, we didn't win, but it was something that we could you know look back on. The fans cheered for us. We made it though, but I know they want to. You want to win when you get there, so. It was just one of them things, uh, but at least we got there. Yeah, um, I, I thought, you know, I just thought it ended up being interesting because, you know, growing up, I was too young for the bomb squad, remember, in full, full memory, right? But I grew up for the ladder, for the ladder, you know, the, the rock fight Knicks that you were part of, right? And I thought, once I learned about that stuff, watched that stuff in hindsight, I thought it was fascinating. You guys went from like an all-out, spaced-out, sprawling kind of shooting attack, and then Pat Riley comes in and you kind of invert it, you go opposite, and it turns into... You, you got to grind with us. You, you got to, you know, you're going to die if you come into the paint type of thing. And, uh, you know, having lived through that part of that mix there, I mean, w- was it as jarring as it seemed to, to go totally 180 in terms of uh, your philosophy and kind of the team approach? Well, I mean, I know in football, you, you said we get a lot of defensive coordinators to be head coaches, offensive coordinators should be head coach. But, I mean, when you're, when you're an athlete, and I think in basketball, you know, you're going both ways, offense and defense. I mean, you got sometimes Pat Riley seen the vision. We had the type of cl- type of players was physical, you know, physicality body. Um, basically, we had to get ourselves in better shape to do that up and down. Um, but you know, he, he brought something to it. We never, you know, like I said, he took it to the finals. He he, he brought attitude of different ways of playing basketball. He kept us, you know, he you know he kept us grinding. It was like he helped us helped us accountable because. Everybody had to play a different role. When you play in different roles, sometimes if you try to get out of that role to do something else, it don't work. But he 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 just had a right mindset of a coach that he knew that he could move us. And his style was, you know, it was crafty. And he was just like, he was demanding certain things. When you demand and, and get it, that means you're doing your job. And he did that. He got everybody to, to buy into something different than what we was doing. Stop taking all them threes, go to half court, post Patrick. Two man game, tough, tough defense, a lot of you know side pick and roll, but um, you know he taught me he taught he taught me he had more to my game for his knowledge, but because like I said, he won championship with Magic, Kareem, Byron Scott, James Worthy, so you had to give him a chance to, to put his system in and see if they work or not. Yeah, no, uh, for sure, and. Um... You know, I know when, when in the book you mentioned when you were leaving Chicago, um, one of the the issues I guess you had with Doug Collins was you want you wanted some more plays run for you. Maybe not in a way to be like featured, right? Like as the main guy, but you mentioned Michael Jordan. They were always paying so much attention to him, and and one big point analysts and media made was there wasn't a lot of scoring outside of Michael. So you thought having some plays run for the rest of the team just to kind of bring some of that pressure off of them would help. Um, I guess when you got to New York, and, and I, guess, I know you, again, played for two different coaches and styles, but did you feel more of that freedom in terms of uh, the play calls and getting to do a little bit more? Well, I wasn't just saying run plays for me. I was just playing, know your team, know what guys can do when they come in. I mean, I was playing, I was getting 15, 16 reach round. Plays wasn't really a big thing, but I'm saying is, you know, a dog need a bone every now and then, you know what I'm saying? So the other guys who can score, I was more trying to speak up for them because I was that they, they guy. And uh, but you know, Doug was one of them coaches, you know, back and forth, this and that, more than controlling. He traded me because I might have, you know, I spoke up all for my teammates at all time. You know, I don't like when coaches try to 
misused guys, embarrassed guys. I, I mean, I just don't go for that. And I'm, I, no matter who it was, I'll speak up for him. A rookie, a veteran. But, you know, it was just one of them things. I mean, I didn't lose no sleep. I got traded. I came, I thought I came to a better place, New York. I mean, so, hey, it is what it is. Yeah, no, certainly. Um, I, I know you, you've said stuff about, you know, whatever with Patrick Ewing in the past, but I just want to speak more specifically about, again, one team to another. What, what was, like, the differences in terms of the leadership style, anyway, between the top players of both teams, playing, you know, with Mike, a Michael-run team and a Patrick-run team? Um, it was just night and day. Um, uh, in this book, I talk a little about it. I mean, for to be a leader, I think that, you know, Kobe, Mike, LeBron, I mean, adverse. Every leader go through adverse. They're going to go through something, a press or something happen. And the toughest come out of leaders. And I think that, you know, playing with Patrick, I didn't never see that, you know, that they're giving, you know, doing stuff for the team, making everybody feel like, you know, they're important to you. But we always had to be important to him. Uh, give him the ball, bring the ball up, make sure he get his shot, make sure this, make sure that. And, you know, it, it was a big difference. I, it's no comparison. I can't even put them in the same senses, but both of them played in the NBA. That's about it because it was just different. If uh, if, if, my, if Patrick had the hardest, if Michael Jordan had, we would have a championship. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know that there's a lot with that Patrick Ewell relationship, whether it's with. No, it's just a truth. It ain't a lot. It just is what it is. I mean, I'm, I'm, hey, I don't run by, I don't run from when, when I said something. I mean, I'm a grown man. If I see him, I'm still going to, I ain't going to, I ain't going to jump, I mean, cut off the street because I see him, I'm going to keep walking straight. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> no, but, you know, just, just want to change gears a little bit too. Um, I, I know in the book you mentioned about maybe different ways you could have worked in basketball after your playing days. And, um, you know, you mentioned a couple of those jobs maybe that you would have been interested in. But I just is that something that's still kind of on your mind? Is that you still want to work in basketball, maybe, uh, you know, in a professional? No, no I know. It just, it's just totally different. It's, it's, I, well, I saw it for myself. I'm glad I had a chance to coach. And it's just a different space now. You can't, it's hard to deal with the guys because guys got the upper hand. I mean, they don't want you to say nothing to them. And they don't want you to, you know, get them off, you know, like, first, you know, you know like, say something they might get sensitive about. And, and I think that, you know, these teams who think like that never going to win nothing because they just – it's all about the money. And as long as the players don't get in no trouble, or, you know, like that, they happy because you can just look around the league and tell these teams don't have a chance the next 10 years. Okay, they do get a superstar. They, it's just the franchises ain't run right. You know, it all start upstairs. You know, you can have billions of dollars and you want to win a championship. It just can't happen, you know, because you got to have some respect. You gotta have a good leader, and you know, if you ain't got a leader these days, I know everybody might have some little talent, but you still need a leader to get the core guys together and make sure that they always together, and then make things easy for other guys. When your leader ain't leading, you're gonna look bad on the court. Yeah, so. I feel like that kind of speaks to a question I had um, about like that's how you feel about the difference in the game personally, uh, just in how it's evolved and how the players have more of an upper hand and stuff to deal with them in that space. But as far as on the floor, you know, I know a lot of uh, players from your era and prior eras, you know, where it was more of a grinded out game, you know, no layup rule, things like that. And now that the game is, you know, up tempo, they're scoring way more points and just 
as a viewer, as a basketball lover, like, do you, how do you feel toward that? Do you, like, it's good for the game? Do you miss the way it was prior? Well, the game now is about the dollars, global. Um, I think when I played in, in, in uh, basketball back in the 80s and 90s, we might have 2% of, uh, you know, global playoffs, you know, so now you got 30%. A third of the league is global, you know, so it's, it's a transition to make money. Not saying the transition just takes some out of the game. Taking the physicality out of the game, making money. And yeah, Golden State, some teams going to benefit from it, but sediment is still the team more because they don't have the, the right kind of chemistry and players to play the, game, the type of game, a spread court offense. It's a copycat league. You know, everybody want to get a, a Mahomes. You know, Burrow, you know, you know, they draft these guys and hoping they can be like Mahomes, but Burrow, in Cincinnati, you know, he, he went from Wild State to LSU. You know, he said he left a, a great school to go to another school to win a championship to prove himself and get the, uh, you know, he get the Heisman Trophy. Now he in the you know, in the championship game. That's the type of guy who's been carrying people on his back. He proved that he can do it. And them type of guy, you know, got a chance to win the Super Bowl this week. But uh, it's the NBA, like I said, it didn't change a lot. You know, it's all about the money, though. Yeah, look, I mean, got guys are getting bigger deals. There's more guys coming over here now. But um, I, I did want to talk a little bit about current Knicks with you, too. Um, ju- just because, you know, they, they're they centered around a big power forward right now with Julius Randle. I know everybody, they're, they're a little bit underperforming based on, you know, expectations fans had set after a, a more successful season last year. But, I mean, what, what do you think about the current state of this team, the way, you know, Tom Thibodeau's been doing since he got here? Like, uh, just your general thoughts on the, the current state of the team. Well, I mean, I know they always say, well, you throw the playoffs on the ball, you throw the Knicks on the No, I mean, I think I got a good IQ for the game. And, and I said last year, be careful with fool's gold. I mean, cause they, I mean, yeah, they got to win the street. They won 11 games over 500. But you got to look at the rosters. Do your rosters show you win? Yeah, you got some, sometimes you can overachieve. I think they overachieved last year. But they show in the playoff against Atlanta last year. You was number four seed, they number five seed. They beat you in five games. So if your talent for the match at 41 win, you should have won at least two or three of them games. But, you know, back to, I think that, um, you know, some guys can't play in New York. Uh, it's just some of them things. I mean, they think you playing by scoring, going to take from fans for booing you or saying this and that. All the fans want to play with hard effort every night. It ain't about scoring. Because when you, if you get the most points in another team, Nine times ten, you win. Okay, long you score ten points or thirty points. I would score twenty points, or maybe ten points and win, score thirty and lose. You know, so when they start thinking like that, they can be a better team. Not just I'm gonna get my thirty. But now you get these younger guys; they playing for contracts. It ain't it ain't a question that you can look at the game and say they playing with the gather. They playing for contracts it's all over the league, and these young guys want to get a second contract. You know, they're getting drafted. They might not be good as a draft pick, but they want a second. So when they're in the game, that will hurt team. Seth was trying to get number. They're not, no chemistry. I mean, I don't, I don't think, and for Thibodeau, um, for his coaching, I just, I just question the rotation. You never see no consistent guys on the floor. So how can you get better? I, I mean, you're, you're preaching to the choir on that one. <laughs> the, the rotation, I, I actually want to ask you about the rotation specifically because you mentioned it. He always does these – it's a hockey rotation. It's always five and five out. He'll play guys whole quarters. I mean, 
I don't know that I've hey, seen yo, many hey, coaches do that. The, I mean, he go by who's hot. And I mean, uh, in this day and age, they're going to get you in trouble because you're going to lose your players and then they're going to start whining. And then the next thing you know, they go wind the management, and next thing you know, that door is open. Next thing you know, you out of there. And in New York, like I say, this year, I mean, the fans have been it been good. You know, I know Jules Randolph gave them the thumb down. That was embarrassing. But uh, I mean, you you ain't even in the play in right now, and you was a fourth seed, and you' gonna be on the way up. I mean, you got to call you got to call in reverse again. That ain't that ain't New York fans ain't gonna go with, they're not gonna settle for so long with this. Somebody gonna have to pay the recussion for this. Trade, coach, somebody. I know it's just been his second year coach, but it's hard to coach young guys these days. That's what I mean. It, it's tough. I, I feel sorry for coach because I know he's a good coach, but it's just the players they 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 don't buy in like the players used to no more. Everybody got somebody in the ear. He's aging, you know, get your numbers. You get, you get 10 and 10, you get 25 million. So that break, that separate teams that are trying to win. Is, and I know you just mentioned about, you know, things go left and, you know, sometimes you got to shake things up. But is there, they have been rumored the last couple of weeks to be wanting to do some kind of a big shake up. Is, I mean, I don't know how much you, you care, pay attention, but is there, is there a particular player or a particular move that you would have liked to have seen them make? I mean, what you going to trade? You, I mean, your best player ain't playing his best. Your next guy's RJ. I mean, you brought you you, you spent money on two guys. That means you're supposed to get better. So you just signing people just to sign. That don't work in this day and age. You gotta know who can fit the uh, the style you want on the court. I mean, you got all kind of shooters. I mean, only defensive guys probably your two centers, Mitchell Robinson uh, or uh, uh, Noah. So I don't see no one else feel defensive strategy, you know. And you and you're a defensive coach, and they don't practice like they used to. They can't. It's, it's hard to learn now because you can't do so much in practice. They limit practice, so you got to have a, a guy already got a high IQ. Uh, you're gonna be in trouble. And you see what Chicago doing. They went and got some veterans and new uh, ball was a high IQ. The Rosa was a team player. I mean, Zach, you know, Zach still, I mean, so go to Cleveland. They went and got uh, uh, in the draft, Mobile, and then they had, uh, you know, Allen that Jersey should have never got rid of. Then Ngala came into his own when Sexton got hurt. I mean, the coach doing a great job. Give him a shout out. He's doing a great job with that team. Even though guys been in and out, now they just signed LeVert. Then Cleveland going to be tough. They're going to be a tough out in the playoffs. Cause they get them big. They going old school ball. Yeah, I was. I thought it was curious when they drafted Mobley. I really liked Mobley, but I, I thought it was curious. Best player, after he's the they best player in the draft. He looks the part. I, I can't believe how good on defense he is already. To be honest with you, at that age, it's pretty. You know, a lot of times rookies come in, even if they're good at defense. There's a different level. It's like rookies being good at defense and then being NBA good at defense. But Mobley yeah. looks. He's already NBA good. Like right. immediately day one, he was coming in blocking everything. And just his IQ, the way he rotates around is really impressive. So they, they did a hell of a job there in Cleveland. I do agree with you, though, about picking your spots in terms of when you've got to go after certain young players and, and the high upsides with, with their brains, their IQs, because me and Sean here, we wanted Lonzo Ball so bad for these New York Knicks. We I don't know why was- they didn't go after him. I mean, I know Kimbo was good in his day, this and that, 
And you already know you had a bad le- I mean, I don't get it. Oh, my thing is, if you wanted to go to the next level, I don't know, you know, Leon Rose, whoever running, you got to spend, I mean, you got to overpay. I know somebody else might have wanted this. And that. You got to overpay. I mean, this guy is IQ out the window. You know, get the ball up, get the ball to the right guys. You can't have Julius Randle dribbling the ball up every night like he's a point guard. You're killing your team. Yep, it, it's it's something that, you know, I feel like Tom Thibodeau takes things that should be luxuries, that should be accent pieces to your offense, and then turns them into the whole course. Like, the point guard Burks things that he was doing for a couple of weeks when, when you know, Kemba wasn't playing or hurt with his knee. Instead of trying to, you know, any of the guards that he they drafted this year or last year, instead of giving them a little bit more rope, he just went to write, like, oh, we'll just play shooting guard Alec Burke at point guard, and we'll see what happens. Oh, we'll just keep having Julius bring the ball up in. As much as I love Julius and he's a talented player, you can't have him do everything on the offensive no. side of the ball. It's not how basketball works, especially from a playmaking powerful. I think that um, you see, like Luca in Dallas, James Harden in Brooklyn. I think guys now they taking that for granted too much on these teams. The bigger guys bring the ball up. I I, I hate that. I don't, I mean, LeBron's one of the best IQ guys, guys in the game. He's the exception, but these other guys. It's hurting the team because I, I, mean, I was I was um, coach coaching Charlotte. Uh, what's the uh, Hornets Bobcats? What name? So we just charter the guys. Not a non-point guard bring the ball up. Back then we was charting Atlanta. I think it was Jay Jay Smith, Jr. Smith. And sixty percent of seventy percent of the time he bring the ball up is a turnover. So get the ball to the point guard. But that's why they don't run offense now. So I guess they say anybody can be a you know point forward. If you ran a, a, a traditional offense, your point guard had to be the lead guy or your two guard, not the four or five bringing it up. You know, and, and, and I watched the other day, the next Anthony Day, he gonna bring it up. These guys just got so comfortable with just bringing the ball up. The, you know, the guard don't even ask for it no more. I when I was coaching, I used to tell them, get a ball to the point guard. I don't care who it was. Get a ball to the point guard. And guys on the court feel like a, a, a point guard with IQ sometimes can get you an easy bucket. The most guys who dribble up, gonna, bigger guys are going to turn it over. They're just big guys, not good passes. Unless you're LeBron, James, Magic Johnson. Yeah, it takes a special kind of outlier big to be that effective with the ball in their hands to that degree. And there's not many of them for a good reason. There's not many of them. It's a hard hard thing to do with that size, at that, at that position of the NBA. So I got a question for you. Can yeah. I ask you a question? So yeah. you think the Knicks will make a trade? Now they just putting smoke in the air to people act like they're trying. Mm. What do you think, Sean? I think they better. Um, <laughs> they better make a trade, or I'm gonna get like there's they have to. There's too many people playing who aren't impacting the game. So like, Kemba Walker has to go. Alec Burks has to go to make some room for Quentin Grimes and Cam Reddish. Uh, Nerlens Noel has to go. Um, he's not playing well he's not somebody you can even like he's not even a drive and dump off option like he's there's no dunker spot for him he drops every pass that's thrown to him no matter what you got to get obi on the floor you got to get jericho sims on the yes, floor you well, get okay another good floor. question why they won't play obi and randall together for some reason that's it they should mr oakley thank you uh, thank you please they should <laughs> play them together this kid is athletic he can do this and that I mean, just if you're going to lose, lose trying to do something different. So that old stuff ain't working. Do something different. It's a preacher. <laughs> he, t- Tibbs and the Knicks only seem to view Obi 
as like only can play the four. That's that's it, and it can yeah. only be when Randall's off the floor. But he, can, this is the modern NBA. We see. Tia might play a veteran. He he gonna play veteran, so he's a veteran coach guy. And I mean, he he adjusts to playing young. I mean, being around young guys, but he haven't just uh, playing young guys with veteran. He can play, you know. So I don't know. Uh, I mean, I guess he can't do with so much. He did, this is his second year. Like I said, last year was the fool's gold year. Now this is the reality year. We just we okay team. We not a. Uh, 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 you know, ten win, old better, you know, team like last year. We we a five hundred uh, round up team, and, and that's what they that's how they playing. What were they five games under five hundred? Oh, so yeah, and they on the West Coast and to play three out of four is gonna be really tough. So, I mean, we hope they get to the play in. That's what they hope because uh, Atlanta's getting hot at the right time like they did last year. Something about them, they got talent, but they got a guy who he's a problem every night. Trey Young. He's a mm-hmm. that's that's guy you pay max money to a guy that team you have to really prepare for not a guy just bring the ball down and turn it over and shoot threes. No, I mean, so I they better make a trade first of all. I, I don't know if even if it's minor to clear, you know, some consolidation. Making no trade, they have they have nothing to give up. They don't, but they better be dumping at least because you you made a mistake with some of these front off, uh, front off decisions, whether it was the. No, Noel, I like right in, in a vacuum. I think he's a fine player, but you gave him three years for no reason. You gave uh, you gave Burks a, a, a multi right multi year deal. You gave uh, Fournier four years with the team option, and and he up until this last month wasn't doing his job. You know what I mean? Like you gotta you gotta consolidate some of this stuff and try to go in somewhere else because it looks like yeah. th- today's rumor, Charles, for example, today, the, the latest rumor there, the, Jalen Brunson at first was from the Mavericks. That uh, a mention of the Aaron Fox. From the Kings, right? But today's rumor, CJ McCollum from the Blazers. Uh, the Knicks have been one of the lead alleged for Mark Stein. Uh, al- allegedly, the Knicks have been in there trying to get after him. I mean, what do you think about a CJ McCollum? You already got a two guard. I mean, basically the same type of player. A spread the floor, not really a distributor at the two, a catch and shoot guy. I mean, 25 million, the same probably master contract, but I don't. I mean, they should have got the ball, kid. We, we, this would be a whole different conversation because you could do you could have did other things because he can play one and two, and you got other guys. But they got they got too many guys to do the same thing. They just want to shoot. No kind of ball. Kimbo, he just he, he ain't got that leg. He pulling that leg, so you can't start play twelve game twelve minutes one game twenty minutes. You gotta be at that consistent. I know ain't nobody gonna make the first seven shot, but still, you gotta be in a flow. That's why I don't see a flow or chemistry, a good chemistry at the same time. You can't try to play 12 guys, all of them 21, 22 minutes. And just you gotta get some guy, hey, this this core gonna play 35 minutes a night. Y'all guys on the bench gonna play 12 to 14. If you get going, you might play more, but majority, 80% of the time, these are five guys gonna play. Two or three guys on the bench. You all gonna come in and play y'all the 12, 15 minutes and try that. You guys, you gotta change up whatever's going on because they're not working. You stop playing 10 of them guys. Get your seven, eight guys, tighten up the rotation. I hate I hate to do it for the playoff, but tighten it up now so you can get make the playoff. Yeah, it, it something's gotta change, man, in the worst way. Uh, we feel like we watched the same loss 30 times this season. They, yeah. they played the same way. There's they no way they should have lost to the Lakers other night. Nope. It's no um, way. Up no. 17. I mean, if you need to drive to the basket every time and get one free throw, you should have still won that game. 
one point is better than nothing. So yeah, that, that third quarter, once again, man, always the damn third quarters. But yeah, the third uh, quarter been a hunt of my career too. But I mean, if we lose the third quarter, but you got to win the four. You can't lose both. You know what I'm saying? You can play bad in one quarter, but some always been with the Knicks franchise. Come out of that locker room in the third quarter, always been a weakness for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is, but yeah, they look, they got to get it together. It's getting late fast. So it's February 7th as we record this. February 10th for the trade deadline cannot possibly come soon enough. I, we pray that they do something. I don't think they're going to be, they, they, they can't move nobody. They don't have nothing to move. I, mean, I think. I, I they think can I'm move somebody for the same thing they give up and say they did it, but they, you it's see, the thing is that's the problem. The guy they bring in gonna have to be a guy that can make a difference. You know, I know last year Chicago made that big trade with the guys from um, the big center from Orlando and somebody else. They could never get chemistry, and that's why they you know they went down. Some trade because you bring another guy who need a ball, you already got three guys need a ball. That ain't gonna work. He gonna want his shot. So whoever you trade for gonna come in. It gotta be an offensive minded guy. That's what we, me and Sean have been saying for a minute. You know, the, the last couple of years, they, they've been doing these little margin moves to get somebody 10 cents on the yeah. dollar to try to make an impact. But at some point, you just got to go take, like you said about uh, Lonzo, you got to take the big swing, pay up, just go yeah. get the guy. Go get the guy, whatever it costs, a real true difference maker, somebody that's going to move the needle in a big way, guaranteed. You know, like you can't just keep hope, hoping these little margin moves pan out. I got to, so they're going to play RJ next year, right? I would imagine they're going to break the Charlie Ward curse. They're finally going to pay this kid uh, for the first time since the, what, 90? Which year was it, Sean? Um, You know? I don't know, but it's been since Charlie Ward. They haven't paid somebody uh, off the rookie. 92? No, 94? 95? It's been a while. I I wanted to say 95, but I was also once. I I think it's 95. Yeah. They're about to. The the point is, either way, we're, we're. we're well overdue for a rookie to get paid off his rookie deal. So, I mean, I, I like RJ. I think he looks like a smart player. I think he brings all-around facets to the game. I think he defends well, both on ball and team defense. I think he's still learning, obviously. He's not perfect by any means or a superstar, but he's, you know, sort of actually hitting that trajectory a bit now. Well, this is, what, third year, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. He's starting to look the part a little bit, a little bit more anyway. He's got to put That's it together good. consistently. He has a good start. Like you know, January, February. He playing well since after since uh, January, yeah. And he's probably averaging like 23, 24 this month. Mm-hmm. And you know, but like I say, on that team, everybody, you know, I don't know. Um, Derrick Rose come back and help him or what? But he's still he's still a ball dominant when he in the game. I mean, they don't have no shutdown guys since I'm gonna play defense. I'm gonna take a char- I'm gonna be the guy to take three, four charges of the game. When they start getting that mindset in, find somebody who can, you know, bring us. If you do make a trade, trade for somebody to score. Or bring somebody who can play a defense or catalyst to the team and make sure they can do that every night. You can't have a guy one night play defense, next full game want to be a scorer. Yeah, I don't know. Because like anything I say, they say I'm talking bad about them. So damn, I do. Damn, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you you bad, you bad. I mean, what I supposed to say? He's five games under 500. I mean, if, if it's say you, you want to jump and chocolate cake, maybe you get by the ice and when you buy the cake. <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, look, you, you got you to gotta be able to talk about these things as they're happening, you know? You got to yeah. talk about these things when they're not playing well because that way, you know, 
You can't always talk about everything like it's good all the time. Like even when uh, they used well, to that's, 17, that's what they that's what that that's what that's see the thing is why we tell them you cannot fool New York fans. I mean, they get a lot of guys that you can't, you know, a lot of guys they work for them and this and that. Oh, we're gonna win 50 games. I'm like, okay, I know what you, I know why you're saying this, you know, but that's what they do now. They lie to the, I would never lie to the fans. I mean, it ain't I ain't about a dollar just that I'm always be if I understand the game and know the truth, or somebody's been following me like I have a good IQ. I'm gonna give you my IQ about everything, not just one thing. You know, that's that's how I roll. So maybe, maybe I shouldn't talk about it. <laughs> you know, because like I say, we everybody can see it, but they don't want you to see it. You know, they yeah. said what they said. First thing they said, somebody rob a bank or somebody get shit shot. You see, some says something, right? <laughs> so something wrong. I'm gonna say it. Yeah, yeah no, it's funny because you know Kemba had back to back zero point games. I was like, yo, like we can't keep playing Kemba. And people were like, oh, so now it's Kemba's fault? You guys are always looking for someone to blame. I'm like, bro, he hasn't scored in two games. Like, it's bad. Like, he's playing bad. You can't bad. play no starter in and out like that. Then you sit one thing, you sit one game because you need, don't play this. Kemba's a, is a, is a, is a guy, he need, need a ball. They should run more pick and roll with Kemba. Guys got to die, set a, set a spot up. When you dive, you take somebody with you. When you, st- when you spot up, they bring more defenders to the ball. So... Whenever they be relying there, they be they be better off. Dad is Dad is guy who's setting the pick and roll, pin pin down on the weak side so they can't play a two zone, two man zone top. But the offense just all up out, out around the circle. On behalf of that entire fan base, you feel me? Because you have more of a possibility of doing so than I do. If you could just relay these messages to Tom Thibodeau, you know, and let him know. Because they seem like very obvious things. Like we're all on the same page. We all agree. Um, but for some reason, the season just keeps going on and we don't see anything change or any adjustments. And it's just frustrating. Well, so I'm going to change because I know the fans, they've been holding their breath. I mean, I know Julius Randle did that thumb down. They let him have it. But they've been good to the, these playoffs. And all they want to see, hey, put a little more effort into what you're doing. Sooner or later, something got to change. My thing is, when you go out there and play effort, the fans see it and you ain't winning. Then next year you gotta make a I mean, like I said, trade deadline, I don't think that's gonna happen, but next year you're gonna make a lot of adjustments. I mean, you gotta have to bring some players in, get rid of some players because you gotta get a core guys can play together. You know, Jules Randall would help his own teammate up the other night. Then they'll help they'll help another guy on another team. Like I don't I don't man. That's just crazy. All this helping guys up. I mean, just get up. I mean, you don't have to wait three of your teammates hit just get up, go shoot your free throws or whatever you're doing. So it's crazy. No, for sure. But um, you know, we'll we'll put up on it here. Don't want to keep too much of your time. But look, you gotta make sure you guys go get this new book. I'm having okay? a good time, man. I appreciate you promoting the book and um yeah, they have to get that last enforcer. You have to get the last enforcer. You heard it here first. Charles came on and had a great discussion with us. Please go get the book. You know, this is this has been a good time for us uh, as fans in general because we got a lot of books coming out. We just said there was another book, uh, Blood in the Garden, by one of our good friends, Chris Heron, came out, covered, you know, the, the 90s Knicks in general, a team that you were obviously part of. Now we get the last enforcer. Pretty much, if you want to get into Knicks history, this is like the hotbed for timing for it right now. There's enough books. There's enough information. You got to go get everything because that's what good fans do. Go get the books. Go read up. Make sure you hear every story from every angle. That way you're the most informed. This is right out of the source's mouth right here. We have Charles Oakley in the podcast. A 90s Knicks legend. This is somebody you got to hear the stories direct from him from. And in order to do that, you got to buy the book. So go get The yeah. Last Enforcer by Charles Oakley. You won't, uh, you won't regret it, simply put. 
Thank, thanks for your time, Charles. We appreciate it. No doubt. So, do they play tonight, the Knicks? They play they the do. Jazz tonight. They're in Utah. Oh, wow. You saw this loss, too, didn't they? They lost the Phoenix, didn't they? No? Yeah, no. I so. I'm going to watch the game tonight. See how they play. See, I'm going to see how do I coach and go somewhere, have somebody listen to us, go tell Tim to tell somebody. Somebody just come out and play hard with a lot of energy, take a couple of charges, dive in the stand. Some got to turn the tide for them to get back on track. Because they started the season, what, 5-1? Yes, they, they did. Yep. You know, so. Watched it fall apart before my very eyes against Toronto after they played Bing Bong in the arena. It's the worst thing they could have done was play. Yeah, they couldn't <laughs> n- never play the Bing Bong. Never lean all the way in. Never lean all the way in on the current runs. It always backfires. Goes up in your face. But, uh, all right, guys. Have a good one. You too, Charles. Take it easy, buddy.